Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 349 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And on the other left coast, we have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And as an extra special, you know, one more thing, we have Joe Chpilinski in Boulder, Colorado. Hello, everyone. All right. Welcome to the show. Friend of the show, Joe, who's been on, this is probably your fifth time, I think. We've, I think we tried to figure that out last time you were talking to me. Yeah, yeah. But the first first time recording with the other folks, uh, with uh, with Mark and Jaime. So this is really cool. And already you've answered a, a long, long standing mystery of mine. I was every time that the way that Jaime says, how's it going? It is so perfectly the same every single time that I swore it was a clip <laughs> that you were just inserting. <laughs> There's a soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We, we, we talked about that on uh, Spotcast, too. And because um, Jonathan, my, my stepson, wanted to know you know, if he's always, if he's always said that. And so I went back to the actual very first episode, of course, and I sent him a clip on, um, on our chat and, uh, yeah, Jaime said, How, how's it going since the very first day? So, <laughs> and exactly the same way. Yeah. It's his trademark. Right. It's perfect. Well, you do know that one of our biggest secrets is that Jaime is CGI, right? Yeah. He's <laughs> not a real exactly person. A Siri, Siri it's a vocaloid. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's true. Mind you, we're we're in three different time zones because Joe's in Bo- in Boulder, so he's in he's in uh, Mountain Time. Yeah. Oh, you're in Boulder, Joe. Yep, yep. That weird yeah. time zone that no one else understands. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, Adam, I'm not sure we've ever met. So I've heard your name a million times, but good to meet you, Joe. Yeah, same here. I don't. I, it's true. I don't think we have met officially, but yeah, yeah. Good to meet you finally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Long time listener, first time uh, joining. <laughs> Well, I've I've done the live shows and stuff, which I don't think you've ever been to any of the live shows that I've done, but I've never actually uh, did the, you know, off offline or what what do you call this? I guess the studio version. Yeah. The clean version. We were remote before it was cool. Mm -hmm. And we were using Zoom before it was cool. Yeah, that's true. Tim continues to be the only host who has met all of the other hosts. (laughs) 
Well, me and Greg. Greg has met everybody. Greg too. has met all the other. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I think. What, Greg? Yeah, Greg's met everybody. Yeah. Well, have you have you ever met Tammy? Hi, me. Yes. Oh, you have. Mark ha- hasn't met Tammy. I've never met Tammy, Tammy in person. Nope. Oh, okay. Right. So yeah. So yeah. So you're close there. I mean. Oh, mind you. Yeah. Because yeah, Greg knows Aaron because we we he's from Toronto originally. Mm-hmm. Trana. Trana. Alrighty. Okay, well, we've got a lot of stuff to get to, so let's jump into the, the fact check. And Jaime, you want to do the first one there? Yeah, so in episode 348, uh, the One Man Tim show, he had stated that I'd met Steve Westgarth um, over at uh, Iowa's Dev UK. It was actually Code Mobile UK, uh, the 2019 edition, the pre-pandemic edition. So just that uh, correction there. There are two uh, conferences that happen over there that I've been to, Code Mobile UK over in Chester, and iOS Dev UK in Aberystwyth. So did you did you do the iOS Dev one virtually, like from Seattle, or? No, uh, back in 2019, we could travel for conferences, so I went to both. Cool. All right. Now I've got two shows to link in the, in the show notes. Great. All righty. Um, and so I was going to call the Ask NTJC uh, Greg Asks, because pretty much he's got most of the Ask NTJCs. And this, this next fact check actually came in through an Ask NTJC release. He tagged it that way because he's a you know, faithful listener to the show. Um, he points out that I got the characters wrong in terms of who uh, set up the generator stations down in, or what, who the generator stations are named, of, named from in, to, by. Four, named four, in uh, Niagara Falls, and it is Sir Adam Beck, not Sir Alexander Graham Bell. So I was wrong about that. And so Joe, Greg's got a link here from Twitter. Uh, also, uh, Greg sent me over a, a, a tweet, and I'm just going to click on the link here because I want to get to it. So he, you know, we were talking about lists, and I was talking, I think, in my pick. Um, so he sent me over a, a list of awesome Swift UI stuff, Swift things. Um, and it's a pretty extensive list um, by, I don't know how to say this, Sidorus, anyway, but it's all kinds of things. Like it's, you know, different uh, platforms and programming languages, front end, back end, security, gaming, you name it. There's all kinds of things in the link. I don't know if you guys have seen, maybe I should post a link in there for you guys so you can see, but, you know, Node.js yeah. stuff. and Yeah, I think you meant, hmm? you, you said SwiftUI, but this is not just SwiftUI. In fact, it's everything, everything but almost. Yeah, it's an all, all, awesome list of awesome things, right? Yeah, yeah. all kinds of different things. Swift is in there, but... Uh, Swift is, yeah. Rust, you know, Go. I'm just scanning through here real quick. The web tools, you know, JS, Angular, Polymer, HTML5. All the, all the cast of characters, and it just goes on for days and days. Computer science things, you know, universities you can go to, linguistics, big data, theory, books, editors, gaming. Oh, lots of gaming stuff. So, yeah, cool. Thanks, Craig, for that one. And the last thing we have from Ask MTJC is actually from me, I think. Yes. This is from um, James Thompson um, when he was talking about the the newly uh, released or the newly birthed um, lock screen for iOS 16. He suggests that perhaps we we need a uh, calculator on the lock screen. (laughs) I just thought that was a great, great idea. Cool. Well, with the new widget kit, I know I'm jumping ahead, but can't you write a little program into a widget didn't wasn't there something about that so you could put a calculator into the lock screen well yeah and and friends of the show or people who listen to the show would know that james thompson has if there's a platform owned by apple out there uh he will dutifully create a, cal- a version of pcalc for it <laughs> so looking forward to that we, we i think i beta tested his his pcalc for the apple tv when it first came out which was kind of cool 
Alrighty, and then on follow-up, we got some yeah, a couple of follow-up stories here to just dig into before. Well, actually, one really that's unrelated to WWC, and that is um, about supply constraints. And um, this was a story that was floating around a couple. Of, we've been talking about you know chip shortages and and you know difficulties in getting computers. I think Mark, you had to wait a while for your new computer, your latest computer. I had to wait almost six weeks for a couple of uh, USB chargers for work, just for backup stock. And I think, Joe, you were saying you were having trouble getting a charger recently, right? Yeah, I left a power brick in Philadelphia. I was visiting my folks, and I thought, oh, you know, I'll just go buy a new one, and I'll leave one back there in case Oops. I ever forget to go back. And uh, sure enough, uh, I went to the Apple store, and they're like, nope, sorry, we've been out of stock for that a long time. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just go to the online store. And I went to the online store, and yeah, it was the, the earliest I could get it now is August. So, hmm. Wow, just for power brick. Yeah, yeah, pretty wow. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, and you can't even go to a third party. Like, are there are there Amazon solutions or something like that you could use? Or yeah, there are, there are a number of things out there that are cheaper and you know more versatile, maybe. But um, and a few people did recommend that. I also had a few friends who offered to send me their extra ones, which I thought was very nice of them. Yeah. Um, I have a spare one that's like a sixty-seven watt. It's not quite the ninety-six watt that my MacBook requires, but it's good enough to power it up and keep it going. So, uh, and then I, oh. I plug into a. a a Thunderbolt hub at home anyway. So I don't really need that break that badly. You know, so I'll just wait until August. Um, but yeah, there are other third party ones that a couple of people pointed out. Um, I don't know. I, I usually try to shy away from the really cheap ones because you never know where they're made and how, you know, are they going to melt my computer or not? Um, right. but, you know, I, I, I take it there are a few out there that are, they're still pretty good quality. I still use, um, I have um, an old display, and I've probably talked about this on the show before, but I, I have an, a Mag- MagSafe adapters from the early PowerBooks or MacBooks and um, with the little, you know, the little pin connector to make it into MagSafe 2. And then I've got a third-party, made in China, um, MagSafe to USB-C uh, that I use for powering my Mac. So my house hasn't burned down yet, you know, but <laughs> I've been using it for about a, pretty much close to a year now, right? So, yeah, I, I'm a... I'm a house full of dongles as well all righty and you know who knows with i don't know if we're going to talk about it on the show today but i'm i'm hearing rumors that the the european union may force apple to move away from magsafe again because they want everybody to standardize on USB-C. so oh. it's going to kind of a backpedal for apple well probably not magsafe it's probably lightning since it would be the port oh, lightning related right. i think you can add other things but you will have to support USB-C as your primary connector like actually support not here's dongle town kind of stuff not in the European Union, so I can't speak to, to what's going on over there. Yeah. And on a side note, I just bought a cable off of Amazon. Again, I don't know if I'm going to burn my house down or not, but um, it's got a, it's, because my, my problem with USB-C in general, when, when you're buying cables, is some cables are good for data, some cables are good for charging, some, and, you know, some are good for anything, right? So I bought this cable that actually has an LED readout on it that tells me if I'm plugged in, well, how many watts are going across the line? Like, for instance, I found if I plug my iPad through the Magic Keyboard, it takes less, it, it consumes less power than if you put it directly to the iPad itself. And uh, but it also shows me whether when I'm doing data transfer, what the data transfer speed is, and then it also shows me if I'm using a device that can do fast charging, whether or not it's fast charging or not. So the mystery is solved. That's the link to that cable in the show notes. Yeah, seriously, I I'd like to see. I'd like to try that. Yeah. There's a few of them actually, but uh, yeah, I got one for like fifteen dollars Canadian, which I think is five bucks US, right? So these days, um, and one last link before we—it was well, kind of it's cheaper than the gallon with, of gas. It is cheaper <laughs> than is it? Not where you are, especially, Mark. Yeah, yeah. What is the price of gas in California? Uh, not, not joking. I paid, I paid six eighty-five the other day. Per, per really? Gallon. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's that, not always that expensive, but 
I got stuck. Well, that's there's four yeah. liters to a gallon, roughly, right? So that's what. How's that divided by four? Because um, we're paying one ninety two bucks for a liter of gas these days. Mm-hmm. It's pretty bad. Yeah, we, yeah. We, and you listen to the radio to find out when it's going to go cheap, right? And you go out and buy it then. Anyway, I remember paying thirty five cents for a liter of gas back in the day. Oh well, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It was, I think five bucks for a pack of smokes too. But, um, yeah, so anyway, so th- this uh, other link here, this is kind of related to WWDC. We, we get this every year. The, the new uh, Human Interface Guidelines is out, and, and I don't know if you guys have looked at the link, but uh, it looks pretty pretty interesting. It's l- less like a legal document than, you know, sort of the Apple standard designs that you're doing these days. Um, I, think I, I think I know, actually, the artist who's working on this stuff, but... Um, you know, it's sort of very similar to their look and feel with the, their sort of icon-driven uh, stuff. And they've broken down into different um, components. So like, like you know, you had different categories, and they've broken them down um, with a nice little icon. And you can drill into it um, more like navigating a website. And it looks nice on the same site on your browser, Safari mobile browser or on your Mac or on your iPad, iOS, and, and uh, iPad looks pretty cool. So easy to navigate. Yeah, I took a brief look at it, but I'm going to have to spend some real time with it, uh, you know, whenever they do anything. It's been a long time since they did anything this extensive with the redesign, so it's going to be uh, one of those things that I have to spend a weekend just kind of perusing over when I get time. Yeah, last last the last version of it I looked at it, um, last year was, uh, was was nice. It was kind of like, you know, down the right-hand or left-hand side, they had the, the categories and then, you know, subcategories kind of thing. And then each page was like a proper blog page, you know, and now, now they've broken it all down. So you drill into a section and then you drill in a little bit further kind of thing. So it's nice. You know, it's, it's less like reading, like it used to be, the head used to be like a book you read, right? Um, front to page, front to back kind of thing. And so it's, we've come a long way with that. Yeah. I've got a, a link, um, the Twitter thread from uh, Linda Dong and what she covers about what's changed is that they've reorganized to have uh, concepts like inclusive design practices, common design patterns, you know, your individual platform considerations. You can search for components and filter based on which platform they show up. Uh, one nice thing that's great, so you don't have to go digging around and finding, is that every page is tagged with related resources like code, uh, documentation, design and development videos. They've got a what's new page a redesigned landing page that new stuff will be released there. So you don't have to know that, oh, some random page very deep in the HIG was updated. It'll we'll surface it nice. to you. Pretty nice to see that. And uh, though not mentioned in this thread, the guidelines do accept, uh, sorry, they do respect light mode and dark mode for your settings. So that's pretty nice. Right. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so I think Google Docs is having uh, an issue today because I put in... I had some, because uh, it's got, you didn't put the second section about the WWDC keynote and platform state of the union, do you, Jaime, or did you? Yeah, let, <laughs> let me clue you in, Tim. You almost certainly did this on like, either an iPhone <laughs> or an iPad, right? Because yeah. because yeah. I have seen this too, where if you use Google Docs on the browser, it works brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. If you use it on iOS, whether that's the phone or iPad OS, it has a little bit of a hiccup where you kind of need to wait about 30 seconds before you're really sure that it is synced. So what actually happened here, and Tim, you can look at the version history if you'd like to confirm. I put my yeah. very uh, lightweight notes about WWDC yeah. Keynote Platform State of the Union. You put in a superior, much more thorough set of notes mm-hmm. after the fact. 
for the record. Yeah, well, I can see that you got eight time to bleed. Ain't got time to bleed here is obviously your comment. So, okay, so you did put it in after the fact, okay, or after me. Yeah, I did this first thing this morning. I did it on my phone, too, so I, I was curious as to why, why it would duplicate. It's almost like we went to the same event, you know? <laughs> You're right. Anyway, speaking of which, we're here to talk Wait, about WWDC. Was, was there an event this week? Yeah, there was. I think. Um, Which one was that? Google I.O. maybe? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Could be. That's what all the ruckus was in your backyard when you looked out the window. Yeah. I mean, the one password people were down in an event at, in San Francisco today, this week, so maybe that's what it was. But no, no, we're here to talk about Mark, WWDC Mark. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the one in your neighborhood where all the people descend. And... Oh, so you're not talking about RSA. Okay. Right, RSA, that's the other one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so here we are talking about WWDC, and we're just going to, I mean, I've got it broken down. We can just start digging through the, I, I've got it in the order that they presented. So did, so did you, Jaime. So, but the link I've got here from, I forget who it was from, but it's, I don't know where it is now anyway. But yeah, let's dig in. So yeah, I think, I can't remember what Tim Cook said. He didn't really do much talking at the very beginning. Did anybody catch anything what Tim Cook said as he rolled out? Like they usually tell how many developers there are and things like that. Yeah, I don't know. It was like the shortest amount of time I've ever seen Tim Cook in one of these. He was so quick. And before we knew it, we were over to Craig and it was like, I'm like, did he even do an intro? Yeah, it was it was pretty wild how little time <laughs> it was, a little, how little screen time Tim Cook um, was that he had this year. And I don't know if that was on purpose, if that's like by design, is he like phasing himself out or what he's doing? But I think maybe they just had too much to present. Yeah, and they had that. Yeah, it was at the trim. It was pretty long. You know, it was pretty long. Yeah. I often, I often wonder, you know, when you see things like even even just in like the platform State of the Union or, or in the, the what's new, you know, what's new in Swift and what's new in Swift UI, like how do they like they must have to call a lot of stuff to get it down to what they do. Right. Because, mm-hmm. so, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know about you, but my, just my general impression of the, the keynote and and W and um, and uh, platform State of the Union, this, it was like a fire hose, literally just stuff being hurled at you, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, it was definitely before we dig in. Yeah, why don't we give a, our overview? But it was definitely an interesting one, kind of an unusual one. There was there were no huge announcements this time, right? There was nothing on the level of like a Swift UI, right, or or, or Swift either, or uh, async await like last or year, or async yeah, await. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest things were kind of things like Swift charts, you know, which, right. which is yeah. <laughs> you know it's it's a it's a big thing, but maybe not you know as big as some of the other ones. Uh, and of course, the iPad stuff was was pretty big too. But but uh, yeah, it was more like here's like a whole lot of things that we've we've had in the works for a while, and we're just gonna we're just gonna give them all to you all at once. Yeah, exactly. An overall theme. Yeah, yeah. It's, it seemed like the the platforms are all getting to the point where they're mature, right? Even even Watch OS nine, there wasn't a whole lot that was new, but nice little refinements, you know. Uh, yeah, and I kind of like that. I, I like a year like this where it kind of feels like I'm, you know, you run the beta and it's like, oh, all my apps are still working. Nothing's going to break. This isn't like a complete paradigm <laughs> right. shift. Uh, they they didn't move the Safari tab bar again, <laughs> you know, like um, nothing too scary, but in, but a lot of really nice small you know, things to announce that were that even as a consumer, I'm looking forward to, let alone, uh, you know, as a developer. So yeah, I think, I think it was a really good year in that way. And very, you know, very little hardware too. I mean, we just had the MacBook air basically, but, um, you know, not, but it's fine. It, like, no one walked away thinking, oh, that was boring. They didn't really do anything as far as I could tell. Right. 
Yeah, you know, it's, I totally, I totally forgotten that they moved the the URL bar to the bottom of Safari. Now that you mentioned it, I, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I guess I, I got used to it. Like, just I guess it's like given up. And, res- and resistance is futile, right? <laughs> Anywho, let's dig in. So we we starting off with iOS 16 was announced, and I think the first sort of feature was lock screen, um, which is you know I was a, a little concerned about this because I mean you know. I work in an industry where you there's a lot of confidential information, and I often wonder like whether I need things on lock screen or not. What do you guys think about the being able to post you know content to the lock screen? I think it's up to the individual to figure that out, right? I mean, you don't have to put widgets on there, so it's kind of nice, and it's kind of nice that you can have a variety of lock screens that are easy to switch and even connect. Oh yeah, that was cool. Connect yeah. to different focuses, which I think is cool. So you could have one. Uh, you could have a focus, for instance, where you're at work and everyone in there is authorized to see whatever the heck you know, thing you're working on or whatever's on the phone. And so it'd be okay to put a widget there at that time. Um, and then other times, like well, only when I'm home or, or maybe my evening one that I want uh, to have my rings and other things of my, my own personal data that I'm a little less worried about. Yeah, I do think this is, they are signaling towards, I know the big rumor is like the lock screen is going to be you know, always on, uh, at least on some iPhone 14 models later this year. And that seems pretty obvious give it like this will be more useful when your screen you can just look down at your screen on the table or whatever and see it um you know at a glance or like the watch is now and so i mean and we've all lived with that like on our wrists with an always on screen and complications so i think people are going to be okay with this i think generally i think people are just gonna be excited to have more personalization I think Apple was right to lead off with this and to make a big deal out of it because from a consumer standpoint, this is probably the thing that's going to get people most excited about iOS 16, maybe this right. and new emojis. <laughs> like, yeah. And and don't forget, Tim, most most people just really don't care about security. True. They should, but they, but they don't. <laughs> yeah, Tim, I, I used to work at a place um, you know, called Simple, and it was a digital bank, and this was a huge problem uh, not from a technical standpoint but more from a how do we get through the um the risk folks of hey this is acceptable to do for the today view widgets so way back when you know not even on the lock screen like you have definitely gotten into the phone and the original implementation we had is like hey you could see your your balances and your budgets like just right there on the today view widget. And that was before that was available on the lock screen, right? Like that was how far back and to get the compliance and risk folks to, to sort of lay, lay off on us. We said, okay, okay. When you first set it up, it will require you to actually accept the fact that your balances will be displayed here because we couldn't guarantee that you would actually have a passcode or other sort of lock on the phone. Like we, we had that, for the app itself, but this from compliance point of view was like, well, this opens up a weird vector of uh, you leave your iPhone on the kitchen table, you go to the bathroom and and your uncle sees that you have $35 in your coffee budget. So I think it's, uh, it's certainly something to think about if you're an app developer of, you know, are you being diligent in, in disclosing the safety um, and settings and other things of, you know, making sure somebody isn't accidentally leaving information that they didn't realize was going to be there for the world to see and that they're they're comfortable with it or that they've like I have, like I don't let Siri get activated if my phone is locked. Right. I don't let people deal with that. 
Yeah, it's also that you don't want the TikTok video about the vintage jeans showing up on your lock screen in the middle of a meeting, right? So, um, but yeah, I'm off two minds here because one thing is I, I like Joe said, I, I really like the work workday focus. I use that all the time. And, you know, like I have like, you know, like probably like 30 or 40 people that are allowed to get my attention during the day, but Facebook and Twitter, nothing, right? Like, so, cause you know, from nine to five, my phone switches itself into like a work mode kind of thing. Um, and if, if you want to call me, I got to go, I got to remember to go and turn that off. Otherwise it just goes directly to voicemail, right? If you're not, if you're an unrecognized number, but, and, and but the one thing that I find annoying about the watch and that's the, you know, this ability to have multiple screens is I'm a, and this is a get off my lawn moment. I use one, one screen on my phone or my watch, I should say. And it's, you know, it's, it's got all the sort of complications I want and I never want that to change. And every now and then I look down at my watch and somehow I've risked, you know, crossed my arms or just done a odd gesture and, you know, I got the Mickey Mouse face on there or something ridiculous that, that I wasn't <laughs> expecting. And I'm kind of worried that I'm kind of concerned that that is that going to be that easy to accidentally switch your, your, your lock screen style during the day kind of thing. We'll have to wait and see when, well, I guess both we loaded up on our, load the beta up on our devices. If we were so brave, we can find out how that works, right? But I mean, given, given the, the, the lock screen, we've also got now the widget kit, which lets us author different things for, for the lock screen. And as well, uh, I think they said all complications are now going to use widget kit to, to create complications for your watches, right? Um, and with that, as well, we've got live activities, and the live activities for for me is is kind of interesting. There, there's a value proposition for us there because there is information that we that may be publicly, uh, you know, shareable if you want to call it that, that we want to notify users about. You know, um, that could we could use that in in live activities to, you know, prompt the user to come and visit our app if there's a alert situation or something like that, or or as a want maybe you're buying concert tickets or something and you want to get notified by Ticketmaster when they go on sale, you know, so you can give all your money to Ticketmaster kind of thing. And that could be something that could just sort of pop up on the, on the lock screen when you're, when you're, when you least expect it. Right. So and that's cool. And then focus filters being able to build different sort of uh, focus regions. I and mean, as Joe was just saying a few minutes ago, right. Um, you could build different, different toolings and stuff like that. And, and we have access to that as developers, right? Yeah. That was the big deal is that we can actually see you know, we have access to the focuses uh, and we can actually sort our content based on what the focus of the user is, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And there was a number of things too, that, that moving on to the next thing is that uh, Apple's kind of like uh, eating um, Twitter's lunch here a bit, because, you know, one of the most frustrating things about sending messages, I mean, one thing I like about, about Slack is, is I can type something to you guys and then, you know, immediately realize, oh, I got the wrong word in there or I didn't, I didn't punctuate it properly to make, my message clear you know i can click on that message and i can edit it so now we have in messages we have the ability to undo and to edit messages you know again event in advance of twitter being able to do it and you can also quickly grab and recall a message by marking it as unread unread i guess and i'm not sure how that works we do have that capability in microsoft teams and i think uh yeah i think office uh, outlook does that on windows where if you send a message to everybody in the company you can you can imagine the size of the company i work at how annoying that gets to be you can go and recall it and as long as people haven't read it you can pull it back right yeah and as exciting as this is i'm gonna guess the caveat is does not apply if you have a green bubble Right, right. So definitely. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't SMS. work with SMS. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So your 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 drunk texts that are ill advised at three a.m. You better be sending it to your your <laughs> to iPhone who buddies. Has an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, friends yeah. don't let friends not use iPhone. Come on. <laughs> 
the first yeah. thing I thought when I saw this is I, what I want is a because there was there was there was the ability to delete a message really quickly and, and recall it like you said. But what I want is the ability to say I meant to send this to my girlfriend, not Jaime. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm going to be able to just like yeah. rather than having to delete it and then go over to the other thing and retype it, I just want to push it into a different message thread because I've done that so many times where I've sent the message to the wrong person. Interesting. And by the way, I just installed Ventura on my my uh, my MacBook Air, which is sitting over on the couch, and it's making noises at me now. I don't know what it's what it's trying to do, but hmm. I think it's now got new modes where it informs you that things are happening. I think it just went to sleep and it did sort of like a I'm going to sleep in sound right now. Very very strange. Uh, as well in in the messages and messages uh, APIs, I guess uh, the more work with SharePlay. I, I guess the question to the group is: Has anybody actually used SharePlay here on this team? I've used SharePlay, the original FaceTime version, uh, not yeah. obviously not the messages one. And it was pretty cool. Uh, we did it for a hackathon at work and hooked it up to our existing app. And uh, it, you know, it works as promised. Um, it, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, so I'm sort of looking forward to seeing what it can actually do in messages. Uh, it wasn't clear to me, and I, and I actually should probably go back and watch some of this up to find out more, but it wasn't clear to me how much you could actually do in the context of the messages app or does it, is it just, it allows you to share something through messages and then the user, the, the receiver taps it and it opens a, a FaceTime or something. Do you, does anyone know? Has anyone watched the video? Yeah, I think that was kind yeah. of, kind of the, the experience that they were talking about. And also I, I know something today on, on Serenity's wrap up was there's a ability to chat with people by pressing a button on the screen and you can like do a quick, yeah, walkie-talkie mode. Yeah, walkie-talkie mode kind of thing. Yep. But that on, on your iOS devices, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like, like again, if you have, like, most of the time I'm on Wagit Mobex, all my stuff is muted, and I just hit the space bar to talk temporarily and, you know, pull my hand off when I'm done, right? So kind of kind of like that, like a, like the old uh, CB radio mode where you pro- press the mic button down, right? That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and dictation, they've, they've uh, one of the one of the problems with dictation, and, I mean, I'm a, I'm, huge fan of dictation i was using mac dictate back in the day trying you know it, it you spend like a week educating the thing to understand what you're saying and never never really worked 100 percent. but um you know a lot of people do use it but uh and I've, I've dictated messages when i'm driving and things like that um with my watch but um now the the improvement here is that when you start dictating something the keyboard doesn't disappear right so if if you notice that a word gets misspelled or whatever you can immediately just grab your uh two thumbs and fix it right yeah, that, that one's really awesome for me. Like, I never used dictation because, first off, I had to say things like period and then like comma because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not 20 oh, years yeah. old and I actually use punctuation. So, like, for me, it was always a pain <laughs> in the butt to use that. And then, yeah, it would, inevitably, it would, it would miss one or two words. I'd have to stop it, go back, fix that one word, and, t- you know, type it out. And now you can just select the words that were wrong and just keep talking. Uh, I really, really think that's a huge improvement. I played around with it a little bit the other day and I just thought, oh, I'm actually going to use this now. Actually, as a sort of side note here, side joke on the um, on the, the dictation mess ups. Um, I noticed that on on Yahoo or no, not Yahoo on YouTube, when I have the captions on some of my videos, it comes up Morgan Jusco. So I've renamed the, the Morgan Jusco podcast nickname Morgan Jusco. <laughs> so in case you wondered why I did that, now you know. Yeah, this is a nice quality of life thing for the dictation stuff. Which, when I'm not talking about the tech. When I make this this criticism, it's more of the UI design is catching up to the best of Dragon, naturally speaking, which mm-hmm. let yeah, you talk about. and type pretty seamlessly. Um, but 
I'm glad that I'd rather see it now than not see it at all. So I probably will end up using the dictation mode more often now, which to y'all's points, knowing that I don't have to get it perfect, that it's not an all or nothing thing. I can get it to get most of it there and then go clean it up as need be. Mm-hmm. And to, to the f- people that have been around for a while, the Mac to, t- Mac to text or Mac speech or Mac dictate, whatever it was I was talking about, is actually now called drag and dictate. I think they, they merged with the Windows team and changed the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody got anything to say about Siri kit? Anybody look into that? Definitely seemed like they wanted you to use the app intense APIs. Like they sort of hand waved of like, you're going to have a bad time <laughs> if you stick with the old stuff. You really want this new <laughs> thing that doesn't require the donation and all the special stuff that, you know, you, you do this in Siri integration is much nicer. The shortcuts with its zero setup is nice. Uh, yeah, I think they're trying to address the worst part of the whole thing with the donations and all that stuff, which is basically they're a pain in the butt to set up and then nobody understands them. And so no one goes into the app and actually sets them up one by one. They just want to be able to talk to their phone right off the bat. And so it's, I, I, I watched the talk a little bit, uh, just a little, uh, the kind of overview, the broad strokes, and it looks like it's a lot easier to write these things out. You don't have all this code generation going on and uh, it's much more kind of swift UI like, which is kind of an ongoing theme here. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, and it's taking advantage of a lot of the async await stuff. It's, it's really what the, the overall theme I keep seeing with, with this year's uh, whole talks in general is that there's a lot of coordination finally it feels like all these things are maturing and they're all coming together so you can see that members of one team are now working in a certain way because of last year's announcements kind of a thing you can start to seeing it kind of coalesce um but yeah i think it's i think it's a really big improvement for uh for the app intense and all that stuff because it was always a pain in the butt to get to people to understand and this is how you set up a series shortcut whereas now you can just talk and if you install that app it'll just work out of the box which is kind of nice i don't think you can like they do have a way to convert older intense but they were kind of like officially recommending against that which i think probably has to do with like if it's already on your phone it might get messed up or something i don't know what they were thinking but it it was more like moving forward use this um and so it was it was kind of a confusing message but i have to watch more of it before i can get into it yeah, and if I could ask the risk folks at work that are listening to this podcast, we could just fast forward like 30 seconds so I can talk about live text for a minute. <laughs> um, I love live text. I don't know about you guys, but but the fact that like I can open a photo that I took 10 years ago or 20 years ago and and copy the text right out of the photo uh, is kind of is really cool. And and I use it all the time now. Like when I when I'm typing passwords or I'm go, you know, I've got information on one screen and I want to put it on and and to another screen like my iPad or my my iPhone. You know, I just use the camera, go in on there, get a, like somebody, you know, sends me an address. I want to just, you know, highlight the address and turn it into text, copy it, use it somewhere else kind of thing. So, Tim, so now instead of writing all your passwords down in little pieces of paper next to your computer, you can take a yeah. picture of them and, and use that instead. Awesome. You laugh, but I did I did a tweet the other day because uh, I did, because when I saw this, because immediately they said, now you can do it in video as well. Like, you, you yeah. can get you can right out of video. video. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going to have to get rid of all the sticky notes on the front of my monitor when I record podcasts, right? <laughs> um, but as, as a true story, true story, okay, you know, when we were doing you remember periscope and the very first time we started playing with periscope and i pulled out my phone and live on the show i did a periscope with you guys Uh right uh my wife had a sticky note on the front of her mac with her password on it oh so i had to go into the video and and edit that out i had to go into i had to go to i literally again it's it's not really that funny (laughs) (laughs) it's hilarious now yeah and last week on my solo show, I talked about uh, wallet, uh, 
adding IDs, digital IDs, and, and I forget which states they, they meant. It was a whole rattle of states, but I think it's Indiana and Arizona, I think, have them now, and I'm just randomly picking out of the 50 states I could possibly choose. They, they mentioned uh, two, specifically Maryland and Arizona, have launched with 11 deployments coming in the future for driver's license for TSA and et cetera in the U.S. Yeah, I believe Colorado is one of those 11. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. I mean, I, I don't imagine I'm going to be able to stop carrying my a license around for quite a while yet, you know, but it'll be nice if I don't have to pull it out of my wallet that often, if it's basically just like a backup sort of the way, um, you know, it, it's, it, if it's in my phone and I already have my phone out anyway at the, at the TSA or whatever, I'm getting on an airplane. It'd be nice to just show them the ID and then also show them my boarding pass and move on. Yeah. I mean, totally like, uh, like we have during our COVID protocol and they, I mean, we're not showing, you know, to get into movie theaters or restaurants and stuff like that. We're not showing our or you know vaccination information anymore and and of course apple had that health kit thing where you could scan you get your qr code from your health provider that says you've been vaccinated and you put that into your wallet and now you've got a pass card you know pass what do you call what do you call those passcode pass cards uh, wallet card basically that shows that you've been vaccinated what i did was i before that came out i had actually made a shortcut and i just switched out the shortcut with a picture of my driver's license right and i've gone and gone to theaters and stuff like that and just you know hit the shortcut opened up my you know opened up a photo of my driver's license and that's been acceptable to them so i mean like yeah i mean 2022 you know we should be doing this already right we shouldn't have and, and i do know that that some insurance apps and stuff like that are, are working on you know, being able to carry your, your driver's, your car insurance certificate in a digital format, right? So, yep, that'll be cool. One day we'll have passports that we can use on our phones, right? That would be the cool. other cool thing is the app integration where you can share inexact but qualifying information. Like, I can't remember which app they showed, but it was, yes, this user is over 21 years of age, but without providing the exact birthday. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that it only shows the info that that person needs, <laughs> you know, that, not everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally, totally, for sure. And then, so Apple Pay later. So Jaime posted an article about this, so we can talk about this. So the Apple Pay improvements in general, but the one thing that kind of caught my attention was the Apple Pay later. Um, the idea that you can break down a large purchase on a Visa card or what have you with, with Apple Pay into four chunks. And, it, and I believe it, they said it works everywhere that Apple Pay works. Like I would assume that means Canada as well, right? So if I want to go to the Apple store and buy like a phone for $1,500, I can split that into four payments, right? I would guess probably not for you because I'm going to guess when they say everywhere, they mean where this stuff happens to be supported. So I'm going to guess it's going to roll out uh, country by country. So starting with the US of A with their uh, BNPL, that is buy now, pay later solution. If you've heard of Klarna or Affirm, Affirm yeah. there's a whole bunch of these. Uh, they're not having a good time right now. And we are, are we on uh, June 8th of 2022? They're not having a good time in the market. So there was some people poo-pooing this idea, but that's not seeing the long term. And that's not realizing that those companies only do that. Apple is adding this additive. You know, four equal payments. Uh, you got six weeks, zero interest, no fees. Doesn't require any integration work. It just works via standard Apple Pay. The payment schedule shows up in your Apple Wallet, which solves a uh, a problem that the regulators have been upset about. Of like, how does a user know that they have twenty different buy now pay later relationships and maybe hundreds of things that they're uh, paying in, in installments? This handles that if you're willing to live in the Apple ecosystem and has the Apple pay order tracking for showing, you know, merchants and e-commerce platform stuff, starting with Shopify that 
will give you that information. So really making the wallet app uh, a, a real huge player there. So Yeah, I think there are some people that are just they're just upset that Apple's getting into finance in general. And it's just like, oh, this isn't the Apple I want, you know, kind of a thing. And it's like, there's a lot of money to be made here. And there's also a lot of reform that could potentially, I, I get the idea, like buy now, pay later could be dangerous if you are a terrible, like at finance kind of person where you're not really tracking your expenses and you're getting into debt. Um, but at the same time, like I, I felt like with the Apple card, Apple did a pretty good job of being like keeping you on top of that finance. And to your point, uh, I mean, you know, like they're showing you like, these are the exact payments you have due and when they're due. Uh, and they're trying to you know, surface it in a way where you can keep track of it. So, I mean, just because, I don't like it <laughs> or just because it's not, you know, it's not a, an iPhone uh, doesn't mean it's not a business that Apple can see themselves uh, making improvements and in, in innovations. And so, yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. I also think it's very interesting. I, I read somewhere today that basically Apple is actually taking it, like taking on the loan themselves. Like they're not going through like a golden Sachs or something like that. And evidently they're doing all the credit checking whatever the heck is involved in like figuring out whether or not a, this is a person I should offer this to or not. Um, so it seems like this is another step for Apple towards getting towards, you know, eventually becoming their own bank. Essentially. Like I, I could see them eventually like ditching the big financial partners like Goldman Sachs down the road if they can, you know? So what's the dark side of this? What happens if you don't pay? Like if you like, if I overload my, my finances and I can't manage to get this stuff handled, it's the same as a credit card, right? They'll send collection agencies after you. Your credit rating will be trashed. Like, do they send you, like, uh, do they start charging 20% interest after a period of time or something? Uh, or? That's a good question. Yeah. Do, have they talked about the fees at all? How much does this service cost? Does anybody know? Well, they said zero interest and no fees. But in the keynote, the caveat I hear is assuming you pay it off in that right. time period. And what Tim is talking right. about is what is the penalty for, like, never paying? Um, I don't know after what time period they have the. Uh, you know, tastefully dressed, but still very scary debt collector goons showing up at your door. <laughs> I don't know. But, the Apple genius, new rule for the genius. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they don't let you leave the Apple store the next time. Like, ha ha, he showed up. What a dummy. <laughs> Eventually your iPhone's going to need a screen repair. <laughs> we'll get you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when, when they say zero fees and zero interest and all that, uh, you know, somebody's paying for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and it's not and it's not Apple. <laughs> yeah, the way this works for buy now, p later is that you, as the consumer, do not pay the fees. The fees come from essentially like a finder's fee to the merchant or from the merchant, right? So the the way that this works as a selling uh, proposition for the merchants is, hey, stuff that you would never have actually sold or you would have sold it at some indeterminate time in the future. I'm going to pull that sale forward to today for you. Yeah. But you pay me a, a pretty significant cut. It's like 10 to 15, maybe 20% cut in some cases, wow. which is wow. way more than credit. But right. again, it's a couple if, of percent. Yeah, it is. And it can vary across all of these buy now pay later providers. And I don't have any info on what Apple is doing, but just imagine there is some money that the buy now pay later provider is saying merchant i will help your uh, basket get larger for your shopping basket and or i will pull purchases forward for you so you have money today not maybe some money three weeks from now when the years is like oh i finally have enough money to save up for that thing or oh my paycheck came. it's like no 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 
instead of a $200 payment, what if you, you have $50 today, right? Cool. Here's your $50 today. And then a, a week or two weeks, whatever their payment plan is, start paying it off. That's the, the selling point for, for the merchant as to why they would pay this uh, larger than credit card fee. And, but of course, the merchant is passing that cost to some degree onto the customer. So we're well, all we're all actually subsidizing this collectively. Yes, yes, collectively. Let me let yeah. me let me weigh on this because I used to be a reseller, as you know. But so um, a lot of like pre-COVID, a lot of small small and pop shops wouldn't even have like an NFC card reader because you know now we have like here in Canada we have you know Interact and we have you know we've had the tap to pay for a while. But mom and pop shops couldn't afford to, the fees to have those in their shops monthly, right? And of course, now with COVID, you know, everything's touchless and people are, it's just, they, to survive, they've all had to go to it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I was when I was taking credit cards for payments, you know, I would sometimes pay, you know, I think 275 is the percentage I paid. And if you think about it, sometimes I would make 3% on selling a Mac, right? So if you bought, um, like... When the 27-inch Mac came out, the the warehouse that would hold the Mac for me, you know, they would get it from Apple, they would hold it for me till I sold it. Um, they charged me $15 extra to, to store it, you know. And then so I had like a 3% or 4% margin. By the time I sold it to you and you paid me with a Visa card, I was paying $30 for you to buy that Mac for me. Hmm. So they got to make it up in volumes. That I suppose that's what they thought, but at that point in time, yeah. I thought you know I could either suffer through this kind of nonsense or go make apps for iPhones, and guess what yep. I chose. Right? Yeah, you know? yeah. But I mean, yeah, it, it 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 was tough. Like when people and and in Canada, we didn't we weren't allowed to uh, we weren't allowed to pass that charge that extra fee onto onto the um, the consumer. But actually, just now that now that there was just a class action lawsuit that just got closed, I think last week or so where um, re- small businesses of certain sizes can go back and collect, you know, I think it's $30 for every year that they would have suffered through this this stuff. So, And it even applies to me as a reseller, even though I haven't resold a, a Mac in since like 2012, right? So, yeah. So, but yeah, so it, it does cost the small small vendors something. So I'm, I'm a little worried about that. I think that obviously, you know, it's going to be the big boxes and and people like Apple and stuff like that that are going to be able to roll to you know opt into this plan if if the fees are that high, Jaime, right? Yeah, and actually, I'm going to correct myself on the fees. I my stuff, my information was a little out of date. I think the the proliferation of buy now pay later providers has caused competition to drive this down, but it's still uh, roughly between two and eight percent of the purchase amounts. Right. Right. Um, okay. But. The buy now, pay later providers are claiming uh, increases in average order value somewhere between 40 to 85% uh, greater. So that's kind of the, hey, yes, you pay us 8%, but it could be 40% increase in your basket, your shopping basket. So that's you know an, an area where, to Mark's point, somebody's paying it somewhere and it's the merchant that's paying for this magic yeah. for you as the consumer. I still think they're passing it back on to us. Somebody's paying somebody. Yeah, somebody's paying somebody. Either that, or there's there's room in the margin from Apple's perspective, or whatever. Yeah, it's it's not nobody's losing money here. Um, Not like me. (laughs) But uh, anyway, moving on to to Map MapKit and Maps was was uh, some nice improvements for the end user um, from that perspective. Because now, when you look at your map, you can look go to 3D mode. You can see where the parking lots around are. You are, and I I assume that like um, app vendors will be able to add in like little 
icons and things like that into the into their maps to so that you know they can show you know maybe locations for a bank or you know locations for a big box store will appear right on the maps and and what was cool about the demo that i saw um i can't remember where it was was in uh state of the union or whatever but where they had the service i think it was state of the union where they had like the 3d uh, elevations as well um you know um I guess it was the keynote because it was the the lady in the wheelchair that that was talking about it. Because you know, there's, that's if you, if you have accessibility issues, getting around is obviously a huge issue in terms of like hills and roadblocks and that kind of stuff. And I think the maps are a bit more informative for for people uh, like riding bikes and stuff like that. You can see, you can choose a route and see the route before you decide to go on it, whether it's got a lot of hills or something like that. I guess in San Francisco, that would obviously be a huge issue, right? Um, and that's kind of cool. And then, you know, of course, it supports dark mode. I think the example they had was a Coit Tower in, mm-hmm. in San Francisco, and they, they flipped uh, mm-hmm. to night night mode, and it looked like it was lit up, like the tower's lit in the night. Yeah, the big caveat with all of this, of course, is you have to live in a city that they've actually, you know, one of the select cities they've done yeah. this to, and uh, yeah. Lonely <laughs> yeah. Boulder here doesn't, doesn't qualify. But last time I was out in San Francisco, I got to play with the maps, and I was also in Philly recently, and they've got the maps there. Uh, really, really cool. I mean, the implementation of this, it looks like SimCity. I mean, it's, it looks pretty insane in the detail level. Mm detail uh with it and then especially when you're you know, when you apply that all that 3d to driving directions it makes it much easier to kind of really see which lane i'm supposed to be in and where that next stop sign is and so on and so forth so it's a really cool improvement i just hope they can get it across more of the world quicker i mean we don't even have biking directions here yet in boulder and this is we've got more bike paths than anywhere else in the united states uh and and apple has offices here so i don't understand why, what the holdup is with maps in in, uh, in boulder so if you're listening anyone at apple uh you know there's my there's my feedback yeah, and it's funny, we've been, like, uh, Carol and I, you know, we just came back from Portugal, and uh, it was great you being able to use maps in Portugal to, to navigate around, and, and the, I mean, the drive-by-drive, drive, this is, I'm talking about iOS 15 as well, right? The drive, was it uh, turn-by-turn navigation is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Shows you, like, in large cities like mine, it tells you which lane you need to be in and that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, we, we started using CarPlay, or basically the CarPlay version of, of maps by turning your phone sideways. Um as we're driving around in Portugal now, now when we're at home, you know, just just to get you know heads up about traffic and what the best route is. We, even though we've driven these particular routes a thousand times in, in our lives, we we still use the phone to tell us where to go. Mm-hmm. And and I argue with it all the time, and then I end up losing because I end up in a traffic jam, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now Joe's favorite topic: sports <laughs> and Apple News. <laughs> Yeah, they've added they've added sports to yet another app that I use every day. That I, and luckily they did find a way for me to hide it. But it's, I, I feel like I'm playing whack a mole here with Apple. Every time they add a sports feature, I have to figure out how to turn it off. Um, and I still haven't gotten it to work on my Apple TV. Like my Apple TV refuses to not show me sports score. Like I'm in the middle of watching a movie and it just pops up. Hey, the Phils are up two against the Mets, and I'm like, I really oh, they don't do care. that. Wow! And it just keeps popping up. And like, there's a setting in there that says don't put this. And it's in my up next. There's always a game coming on, and I'm like, I have never watched any of these games. I have every single time i've held down the button and said please remove this from up next and it keeps popping them back in i just feel like uh you know someone at apple just really 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 is excited about these deals that they're making with sports (laughs) it's like it's cool if you're into that but at the same time like you're interrupting my movies uh you're invading my news feed like please give me a way to turn this off yeah, it's funny on my apple tv like i'm in canada we don't have mlb baseball broadcast here i guess because of the rights and uh 
for like a couple of weeks there, or maybe a month, um, when they first rolled it out, I would turn on my Apple TV and it would show me a big giant commercial about the Kansas City Royals versus some other team that I don't, some other sports ball team, right? And I, even still, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. Like I, even if I clicked on the item, it would say, you know, the program is about to start, and it would it, just a badly executed uh, rollout here in Canada, anyway. But it's like the Friday night baseball wasn't available for you. No, not in Canada. Uh, that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's silly because you have a team that's on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, but it's my regular reminder that Eddie Q still works for Apple because I, I feel like this is his influence. <laughs> well, his Warriors are down by twelve points right now to the Celtics at halftime. So. Oh, he just <laughs> did the thing you weren't supposed to do. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I assume you guys are always watching in the background. It's like the one time I actually did that. Sorry for the spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's at halftime. Anything could happen yeah, by the time by the time this comes out, I don't care. Yeah. All right. Um, so I I missed what the what the update with Apple News was. Has anybody got anything about that? Oh, that was the my on. sports stuff with scores, schedules, standing highlights, starting in okay, cool. USA, right. UK, oh, Canada, and Australia. I think is what I have in my notes. Oh, Canada? Yeah, you're for actually sports? included for this one. Yeah. Wow. I'm wondering if they're yeah. going to add curling updates. That'd be kind of cool. And next thing was family sharing the, I guess the part of the iCloud stuff. They're uh, they're now able. You're now able to create uh, accounts for the younger folks in your crowd and and uh, have some parental controls over that kind of stuff, which is cool because then you know they can if they grab the device, they're not going to be seeing all of Jaime's porn and that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Tax documents and, folder. Uh, his, yeah, his Paw Patrol episodes and yeah. The other cool update for that I thought was cool is like you know, I, I get that like the kid can ask for like ten more minutes or whatever. If you said an hour, you know, okay, you can only right. you can only play with your iPad for an hour, and they could just text you, and you can basically just approve it right there on your own phone, which is kind of cool. You don't have to go open their phone and, and you know reapprove it or whatever. That's a neat feature. Yeah. Yeah, definitely for sure. And then you know, adding on to that with the iCloud uh, idea of shared photos, I, I I do know like there are share you can share photos in my sisters send me stuff all the time, you know, their deck and stuff like that. Um, but um, you know now you can you can like Carol and I we both take photos all day long, and she has a library and I have a library, and you know we kind of occasionally will share things. But now we can she can say, well, here's pictures of the grandkids, just send them over to my phone automatically, right? Um, since we're in the same family group, right? And uh, same thing with me. Like, I take a picture of my dog. I, you know, I can. I don't have to worry about texting it over to her because between our me- in our messages account, you know, I think the the gigabytes of uh, data in our messages are probably us sending pictures back and forth. Is this the beer you want me to buy? Kind of thing, you know, and so on and so forth. So that's that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, I did a uh, I did a startup about ten years ago that pretty much did exactly this, <laughs> <laughs> and it failed. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the idea that it, it, it kind of knows that you're you're on a trip or whatever because it knows that other people's phones and your family are right next to you and just automatically offers to share that. But I am w- counting down to the time where someone accidentally, you know, just because my kids on the vacation with us, you know, and and the husband and wife go take some pictures in their bedroom and you know it gets sent to the kids and they didn't realize it <laughs> something's nice, going to happen yeah. like that at some point where someone's yeah. going to accidentally share the wrong photos with their family. Uh, true. Yeah. Well, I should know that you've mentioned that, Mark. I, as you know, I made a, an app that had a photo. Anytime you posted a photo, it didn't take the photo. Yeah, you could take the photos in there, actually, now you think about it. And, and it would automatically share to the, to your partner. Yeah. But with this one that we did, it was it was even more, uh, well, I think interesting, uh, but it was more complicated. It was, you could set up a, what we called it an event, but it could be anything. It was just basically mm-hmm. a any kind of group, a group share. 
and anyone who could put pictures into this group share within the app, and then you'd every they'd be available to everyone. Hmm. So I you could call you could Slack up, now. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. You could set up a like a, a you know a, your a, your kids a kids channel or whatever you want. Yeah, I mean it's like Slack, sure. Photos only photos. Hmm. And so you could put your your pictures in, and your wife could put pictures in, and and then you can everyone who's everyone who's in the share has access to all the photos that are uploaded to the share. Well, it was like it was like like I guess I think Evite has something like that too, where you, after the event you can post pictures, and everybody on the everybody that's on the invite gets you know gets to look at it, rather than you yeah. know you take a picture and then people say, "Can you send me a copy of that? Can you send me a copy of that?" Yeah, I was I was actually involved in that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Um, different, different startup. Though. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I know which one you yep. meant. But yep. um, and I've got privacy here as a note. Um, generally, do you guys remember what they said about it in the keynote? They pretty much mentioned yeah, it, it after every new feature. <laughs> they were talking about how it's all yeah. based on. Privacy. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> they keep like hammering that one home the way they used to do the uh, the checklist of like uh, you know, all the green stuff, uh, that, which is, that was kind of a weird thing. They didn't talk about the environment much on, in this particular uh, keynote as much. Oh, I guess because yeah. there was less hardware, they didn't have to talk about packaging and uh, lack of power bricks and stuff. But um, yeah, privacy just became part. And even as you watch the uh, individual sessions, like they mentioned privacy in almost every one of them that i've seen so far and the next thing is quick note so i think everybody here has an ipad pro mm-hmm. with a pencil mm-hmm. do we all yes i do yes how many times have you used quick note in the last year accidentally or on purpose yeah <laughs> on purpose i think probably is what i'm asking no I've, i do it accidentally yeah. weekly but uh, i've never actually used it yeah, I think I tried it once, and yeah. Well, you know, it might actually be more useful on the iPhone than on the iPad because because uh, you don't have any any kind of multi window support on on the iPhone as of now. Mm-hmm. So having the instead of having to switch apps to get into your Notes app, just to be able to pull up a quick note might be a useful thing. Yeah, totally agree. I don't know. Yeah, I remember the uh, the privacy thing was was uh, now that they have more personal safety kind of things. Um, you can, um, if you're in an abusive relationship, for example, and your you and your your partner has access to your device, you can um, uh, the special mode where you can opt opt out of sharing your information with them, almost like resetting your your sharing settings. I think all of them at once, kind of thing. Yeah, it basically logs you out of iCloud on every device except for the one you're holding right now, um, which yeah. is pretty cool. I think that was a great idea. Yeah, and and quickly turn off tracking is that's what that's what I had there. It was nothing to do with the um the little device thingies. What do you call those? Um, air tags. Air tags. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And safety check. Uh, yeah, that was it. Safety check was a piece about helping helping people in abusive relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, stop sharing your location and that kind of stuff. Cool. All right, um, and then on the home, uh, we they talked about that matter consortium that they that they're members of to try and get uh, pl- uh, devices across the, the spectrum of home automation to work together. Um, I still we, at home we we have Google Home devices, we have um, Amazon Echoes, and we have uh, Siri throughout the house, and uh, you know in our home pods, and we're constantly fighting about which device. Talk, which one do we talk to to turn the lights on and off? Because, you know, <laughs> still a problem. And I don't think they're solving this with, with uh, I mean, I'd love everything to be home HomeKit. I have a home bridge running on one of my mini servers here. So, so, so I can talk to my Nest and my Nest video camera. But um, yeah, it's kind of 
still annoying. Still, still sort of all separated. Yeah. And somebody made a joke about, you know, we've got 15 standards. Let's make a standard to manage the standards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be beautiful if this would take off and everything, because that is one of the biggest problems buying stuff is like, is this home kit compatible or not? And yeah, we just have to dig into the details and find out that half the stuff isn't. So to, if, yeah. it, if you're just looking for that matter label now, like that would be nice. And if, if manufacturers, you know, don't have to worry about software for two different platforms and they can just adopt this standard and it'll work all everywhere that would be great but yeah i I still feel like this is a dream that is not going to uh, come to fruition anytime soon yeah and of course as joe said your data is all shared um, privately so it's not dealt with by apple they don't care um and another another piece for home they've a new newly designed home app where you can now categorize your accessories together and group them group them slightly differently than you do now sort of thing so I think I think right now we have scenes and a few other things, but I, like again, I'm getting confused between the various <laughs> different apps I use to manage my devices. But oh well. <laughs> uh, CarPlay. Ninety-eight percent of cars in the United States have CarPlay, and uh, sort of the must-have feature. Yep, the two percent are Teslas. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, it was interesting, you know, just on CBC Radio just before we started recording today, there was a guy talking about the this new reinvented in-car experience that Apple rolled out as well. We're we're now you know, as developers, we can you know we're no longer constricted to the the one sort of layout for CarPlay. We can start you know designing CarPlay for different kinds of devices. And of course, the video that or the image that they showed was our CarPlay screen that, you know, goes right across underneath or behind the, the steering wheel so you can get your your dials to be digital or analog style and, you know, with, with your in-app, with your navigation, turn-by-turn navigation showing up, you know, right in front of you as opposed to having to look over to your right-hand side all the time or left-hand side if you're in England. But, um, yeah, and he was he was, like, going on about how Apple's like, you know, going to make it really dangerous for people to drive with this whole new CarPlay thing. But again, like, I think it's part of what Hami was saying earlier, just, you know, just because now Apple's getting into it, uh, they're sort of complaining about it. So I think like mm. all of the electric cars have, you know, some sort of screen or some type, right? Oh, yeah. Tesla's got that giant iPad mounted to the dashboard, right? You yeah. Know? <laughs> a lot of like uh, the new, newer Mercedes EVs, too, they have like a giant screen across the entire front of the car. Like, And many of them have like multiple screens. So I, I, I get the the uh, the worry that there's going to be distractions, but I don't know. I trust Apple to design a distraction free environment better than I trust Ford. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that this is going to be an interesting, it's a very big advancement, this next generation CarPlay that they're talking about, because it's much less of like just a rectangle on a screen somewhere that you can then, be, basically all you're doing is creating an external monitor for your phone. Uh, whereas this new generation is much more, your 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 phone is asking the car for data and then, you know, it's a two-way connection. So it's going to, you know, your phone's going to need to know what, what the current speed is and, you know, what the current fan settings are and things like that. And then it'll let you change them from there. So it's a lot more of a symbiotic relationship with the computer in the car. So I get why they're they're talking about it now. And you know, they were saying that nothing is they're going to announce the first cars with this at the end of next year. So we're probably talking 2024 before this is actually in anyone's car. Um, but it looks pretty cool to me. I guess my, my only concern about it is like I tend to keep my cars for 10, 15, 20 years sometimes. And, um, you know, I'm. I think I trust an analog device like a speedometer and that kind of thing more than I would a, a LCD of some type because I, I know that screens and, and these kind of things don't last, it seems, right? Um, is anybody concerned about like the fact that, you know, your, your screen's going to start working one day? Like, you know, I'm concerned in the, 
Yeah, I'm concerned in the same way that I'm concerned about glaciers melting. I mean, there's, there's like nothing we really are going to be able to do about it. This is where the industry wants to go. Um, but yeah. All right. Uh, next up, they had watchOS. Uh, Kevin Lynch came out to talk about that. Um, quite a few things. Call kit now, I guess you can, you can, I think you can make calls on your watch now anyway, right? Um, but I guess now it's more of a thing. But I think the, the main improvement that I noticed was uh, with the workout app. Like in one, one thing about the workout app, they're now bringing it over to iOS, and, and which means you don't need to have a watch to use the workout. Um, I've been using the workout quite a bit. In the last little while, and and kind of cool uh, way that he dem- they demonstrated how they use uh, vertical oscillation, you know, in your watch. Um, what do you call that thing? Uh, gyroscope to, you know, analyze your running speed and your running style. Like if you're going up and down too much rather than forward, they can um, help you correct that kind of behaviors, um, which is cool, right? Um, improvements on heart rates, and you can set up heart rate zones, customize, you know, your workout so that you're you're optimizing your your workout kind of thing uh you can customize workouts now i think i think one of my problems is with um with the workout app in general is the, is the workouts off, offered to me don't always fit with what i'm doing like i don't know like one of the things i've done in the in the pandemic is i got a, a drum kit and i've been learning to play drums and that's a quite a workout right so sometimes i like to just fire up the the watch just to to get some points for for moving around right and uh, it'd be kind of cool to be able to create a, a workout for that as well yeah, I mean, I want to work out for pizza dough, like, cause I, I make my own pizza dough and I need it for like 20 minutes and it's, it's usually a pretty good workout. But, and I agree with you with the drumming. Drumming should definitely be in the workout app as a standard workout. Cause it's, it's, it's an awesome way to get rid of tension and it's a one, it's just a wonderful, fun thing to do. I don't know why drummers tend to be like really angry people. Cause if I beat things with sticks all day, <laughs> I would be the happiest guy on earth. Well, which is the cause, which is the effect. Right. <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah. Spoken like a true guitarist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the sleep stuff was pretty cool with the watch, actually, the way they could measure your you know, your REM sleep and all that kind of stuff. I'm looking forward to trying that out. My first thought there was that they're, perhaps they're they're looking at maybe the Apple Watch eventually being able to detect sleep apnea. Um, it'd be really cool if it could, because right now you have to hook up yourself with all these goofy diodes and stuff and have this heavy machine on you all night to figure that out. And it'd be kind of nice if your watch could just tell you, Hey, by the way, you didn't breathe for a whole two and a half minutes, like seven times last night. Um, that'd be pretty cool if they could figure that out. I don't know what that would take from your wrist, if that's even possible, but it seems like they're heading in that direction. They're getting more and more into the sleep stuff and getting more complicated with it. So, Mm mm-hmm. And medications now you can put in your, uh, you can put your prescriptions in again, again, cross-border questions about that, because I think our regulations for drugs are different than yours uh, for your medical drugs. Another cool use of live text with that too, because you could just scan your, your pill bottle and it, it would tell you what the medicine was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. And because apparently 50% of Americans or watch users take medications, so you can get alerts on critical, uh, like what our drugstore does this for us. They they tell us if, you, if you're taking something, whether it's contraindicated, you know, mm-hmm. like can't take Advil with this or that kind of thing, right? Um, and it also works with, with health sharing. So um, I, I started doing this with, with uh, my doctor and stuff like that. The hospital lets me um, share my health uh, metrics with them from my, from my watch and my phone. Um, and as well, I can get, you know, results from tests that I'm doing over there, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And the next big thing that they announced uh, was the new MacBook Air, which everybody, it wasn't much of a rumor because, uh, well, you know, it was a rumor that, that was coming out. And I think everybody kind of knew it was uh, coming for sure. And that's running the new M2 processor. 
Um, kind of an interesting redesign. I, like some people are going on about how it's no longer wedge shaped, you know, because I mean the the Apple Air Apple MacBook Air has always sort of been thin on one side and thick on the other side. Now it's kind of just it's more like a titanium tie book kind of sh- uh, shape, you know, just mm-hmm. uh, square all the way, all the way around. Um, uh, facts and figures, you know, eight sorry eight core CPU and ten core GPU. MagSafe is back on the MacBook Air. Uh, which is kind of interesting. No fan, which, you know, I hope that I'm not getting fan noise from my Intel right now. I never know until I go to mix it. Um, and then uh, adding on uh, the uh, 1080p cam and three mics, I guess, for to make you sound really good in, in a on a Zoom call, right? Mm-hmm. Um, two Thunderbolt ports, which I'm still disappointed about, and, but we'll talk about that in a few minutes, I'm sure. Um High impedance out, uh, audio output for, for the, I guess, the fancy headphones. I don't really know that I have ever used the fancy headphones for that. But and li- liquid retina display, uh, 500 nits of 20 percent brighter than the current uh, Max. What else we got in here? Mm-hmm. 18 hours battery life is like 18 hours of video playback. Uh, I don't know what videos they're watching because I've never been able to get that. And uh, you can get an optional. Uh, fast charge 67 watt adapter doesn't come with but you can get that if you like and the, and apparently the power brick had two usb charging ports if i read that correctly there's two an option different that, yeah there's two different bricks an option yeah oh that's on the maybe on the fast charge N- brick again no this it's weird it's the smaller brick has the two ports and i think the idea is to make it portable for like hotels and stuff and you can plug your phone in your mac and the speed isn't important because you're just plugging it in overnight i think is the thinking there and eleven ninety nine is the intro price for the United States of America, right? So, what do you guys think of the Air? As you know, I'm a huge MacBook Air fan. Yeah, I've never had an Air, so I'm not going to start now. But it seems like a nice machine. <laughs> what do you think of the M2, yeah. Mark? Uh, you know, it's it, it, it's 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 good. Uh, it's definitely an incremental sort of evolutionary thing rather than a revolutionary thing. It's not like a it's not changing the world like the M1 did. It's it's just the, I, w- I would say it's the natural evolution of the M1 to a, to the next year mm. or two years, whatever it's been. I mean, it's good. It's got some nice specs. It's but it's not, you know, it's not changing the world, right? Mm. Uh, I think there's a there's a good reason why they didn't announce a Mac Pro starring the M2, right? Because it's probably not quite good enough yet. But maybe maybe if they do the M2 Max or M2 Ultra, that kind of thing. Maybe further down the road, they'll be able to get more juice out of it mm. and do something do something nice. Yeah, this is this is basically to support more because I think currently the the M1 Max is the the base level M1 Max is out at eight megabytes, right, in terms of memory. Uh, and this one has more, I guess, more pathways to support more more memory on board. Yeah, you can get up to twenty. I think it's twenty four gigs, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is great. Yeah, and um, I guess a ten core GPU tuning is is sort of an addition as well, right? As well as rolling out the the uh, MacBook Air, they also rolled out a Mac Pro 13, which is kind of a weird um, <laughs> configuration. I think most people thought the 13 was going to go the way of the Dodo, because, but they they pointed out that these two models are their biggest selling uh, models, and I could see that because I, I'm sure for colleges and universities and people who just need a a Mac of some type, the MacBook Pro 13 and the MacBook Air are probably good entry level things. What I like about the MacBook Pro 13 is again the M2 processor, so I'm gonna it'll be a step up from what I'm doing with the M1, but four ports as opposed to, to as opposed to the two I have on my current MacBook Air, right? 
Um, and the Touch Bar. Yeah. I hate to say it, I'm a Touch Bar fan, right? So I guess I'm a I'm an, an oxymoron. But you and I are the only two, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> much. There are dozens of us. Dozens. Right? Yeah. I, I was I was joking with a friend earlier today that I think that Tim Cook just had a drawer full of touch bars, and that's why this MacBook still exists. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> I think it's a model that's on its way out, maybe. But for now, it's there's that weird big gap between the MacBook Air and the the entry level 14 inch Pro, which starts at two thousand dollars. So. Rather than souping up a, a, a an air, I guess they wanted to have something that felt a little more pro in that twenty five hundred dollar or I'm sorry fifteen hundred dollar range. Like if you put a couple extra things into the thirteen inch, otherwise, I mean, yeah, they didn't even bother redesigning it. So I'm thinking that it's just like we have these components, let's just use them. Yeah, I mean, for me, like like again, like I said, it, it's it's an attractive. I mean, I have a thirteen inch Pro Intel model that I bought a couple of years ago after you know using my MacBook twenty twelve or twenty thirteen or yeah twenty thirteen Max right for many many years. Um, so it is attractive to me because of the, the, again, the four ports and, um, and the size factor because it's, it's, it's tiny. Right. Um, and I, I like smaller Macs, especially when I need to drag, I mean, haven't really been leaving the house much, but you know, when I do, I'd rather have a small Mac. Um, actually when I went, where did I go? Um, Portugal. Oh, when, when we went to, went to Portugal, I didn't take, that was the first time in probably, let's see, I had, I've had power books since they first came out, which was a 92, I think. So the first time since 1992 that I went tra- that I traveled for a week without a Macintosh in my possession. I just used used my iPad Pro and my uh, and my phones. It was very strange. <laughs> and there was only like I I survived, which I'm amazed by. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, so I, you know, just just from the weight factor like especially on planes and things like that, I I prefer to travel with smaller devices, right? Just because, you know, the 5-hour flight to San Francisco and the people in front of me reclining in their seat, you know, mm-hmm. that 11-inch MacBook Air comes in handy. Or the iPad. I wish they would make them turn 11 inch again. That would be fun. Yeah. So I guess I, I, I mean, as we traditionally do, and Greg asks us to do this every time, is if we went around the table, any anybody on this group interested in a MacBook Air M2 or a MacBook Pro M2 13? Probably not. But I will likely get the next generation of the, you know, the 15 or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, it'll be like an M2 Pro or something like that. Yep. Yep. How about you, Hami? I don't think so. And for context, I'm rolling with the uh, MacBook Pro 16-inch 2019 edition with an Intel Core i7. So I will probably wait for a larger replacement for this to come out on the M2. Don't don't move this around that much. So the the trade-off that the Air and the sort of uh, 13-inch Pro just isn't enough for me where I kind of want the extra monitor space. So how about you, Joe? It's shiny and has an apple on it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. But um, yeah, I, I just got my 14-inch Pro last year. Oh, nice. With the uh, It's just the it's just the M1 Pro, not Max. I didn't get the Max. Uh, because honestly, for Xcode, this thing is more than fast enough. And that's the way I'm looking at this Air. It's like it's almost there. It, honestly, I could see myself buying like the M3 MacBook Air and then never going back to a Pro again. I think at that point, it'll be fast enough. And especially if they make it in green, then yeah. <laughs> green <laughs> gotta be green I, I had to go get that green iphone as soon as it came out this spring <laughs> so how much was how much was the again because i'm distorted by canadian dollars i mean i looked at these and and they're they're quite considerably more expensive than they appear to be so this is a, a hundred dollars more entry level than the i mean to me if i was comparing a macbook air m2 to a macbook pro 13 m2 it is only a hundred dollars you get a touch bar for hundred bucks, yeah, and, a and fan. two extra ports. And to me, that's that's an easy easy math, right? See, yeah. See, my thinking would be, oh, 
I could save a hundred bucks and, and not have to deal with the touch bar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get something smaller, lighter, and yeah, almost yeah. as powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would definitely lean towards the air at this point myself, but you know, again, I do see a future where I won't need a MacBook pro anymore and I could just get away with the air. Uh, question. Did, so, did both of them have the notch at the top or just yeah. the, Mac, uh, the pro? Oh, I think they both, yeah, the, the new air definitely has the notch. Oh, it has a notch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the extended, extended retina display. I mean, it's funny because like you said, like uh, I have the, my MacBook Pro uh, 2020 never leaves this desk. It's all, it's on one of those arm things floating and floating above my desk. And then my MacBook Air is the one I use on, on the couch all the time. And beyond, I'll be honest with you, my, mind you, my 15 inch that I use for work has touch bar and I use it all the time, but, but I really don't notice, I don't miss the touch bar on the MacBook Air at all. And to be honest with you, 99% of the time I don't miss not having only having two ports. It's occasionally when I want to do something like a third thing. And then I have to I do have a bunch of those um port replicators that I plug in the side and then I've got, you know, extra ports and USB A ports and that kind of stuff as well, right? So cool. So Tim, now that you were able to successfully travel without a laptop at all, we should revisit our discussion from whenever it was, you know, a year ago, two years ago, whenever it was, how close are you now to being able to do everything you need to do on an iPad without a laptop? I have a one word answer for that. Xcode. Xcode. Yeah. 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 Even with uh, being able to publish apps in a playground on the iPad. Yeah. I mean, well, the playgrounds thing, we can talk about that too. Cause I mean, I was, I'm, I, as soon as the playgrounds came up for Mac, uh, with being able to make apps, I I downloaded Mm -hmm. that and I did watch the speaking of sessions. We haven't really got into the sessions from WWC this year, this yet in this talk. Yeah. We could be here for another three hours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and just the comments I saw on Twitter today would, would add another hour to that. But, um, the, uh, the fact that you can start an app on an iPad or a Mac, right, in in Swift Playgrounds, um, work away on it, and then transfer it over because it makes it it basically puts it into a Swift package, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can pe- move that over to your your Xcode, and as they did in the talk, um, you know, one person started it on on her iPad, and then she sent it over to her, her a coworker who finished it off on. Um, no, actually, it was the other way around. She started on the Mac, and then she sent it to the iPad guy, and he pushed it up to test flight, right, and and loaded up on his phone and that kind of stuff. Um, I think for, I, I got to say, for basic apps, I mean, that's kind of where it is. I mean, the the cool thing about some of the demos that they showed today on the on the talk, or I watched it yesterday, actually, was some of the cool things you can do in, in, um, in the playgrounds on the iPad that I didn't know, like for instance, if you, if you, if you stub out an array, um, it creates like a little sort of ellipsis dot on it. You click on that dot and drag your finger to the right and it puts in placeholders for item one, item two, item three, item four. That is really slick, mm-hmm. right? Those kind of nice things. Cause the one thing I miss about writing, um, apps on iPad on, in playgrounds is a lot of the code completion and stuff like that. And I don't think we can do core data on an iPad yet. You know, I mean, an iPad app, right? Or a Playgrounds app, I should say. Um, I do know we can support, in Playgrounds, generally, you can support and um, you can import frameworks. But I'm not sure about things like, like that, like higher level frameworks, like whether they can, whether they're even available to be used on in um, Playgrounds. But it's pretty close. I mean, I, I do Photoshop on my iPad, you know, and I think Joe and I both, you know, from the art point of view and music point of view, iPads are great for that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially, and I really like being able to write on my iPad. I don't do it often as, as much as I could. I mean, you know, use handwriting to, instead of typing, but, um, 
yeah, I mean, you know, I have an Apple Pencil on top of my iPad Pro, and I rarely use it these days, right? I just know it's there, and it's nice. I don't have to go looking for it, right? Mm-hmm. Or charge it up. But, um, yeah, I, I, how close am I to, to going fully? I guess, you know, if I consider, if you consider my day job, for instance, right, it, I don't write code all day long. I do code reviews. You know, I might, I might crack open um, Xcode to, to debug an issue or look at a feature or, or, you know, try and find out, you know, what API is being called by whatever uh, feature in our app. I don't, you know, I'm not writing code all day kind of thing. So for a manager like me, I could see probably using an iPad to do that kind of stuff as long, you know, if you could access the repos and, and, you know, look at the code and that kind of stuff. And if there was even just an uh, Xcode viewer, if you want to call it that, um, and I could look at, look at, I mean, I could do that right now with, I think, what's that visual, is visual code studio live on iPad yet? I don't think so. Right. But Coda, I think there's Coda from panic. Mm -hmm. You can pull things off FTPs and stuff like that and look at them. Are you guys still there? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, you can. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's called Nova now, I think, but I don't, uh, Rakota was, was the iPad app and code editor. I don't know if they have made their new, the, the new panic app is available on iPad or not. That's a good question. Hmm. But there's a number of, of apps where you can basically open text files and they have code completion and, and text highlighting for certain languages, including Swift. One app I do use on here, Marcus, which is cool. And I think we talked about it on the previous show is, is the Gibson app. I've been uh, I I learned to play guitar uh, finger picking style. Yeah. And then you know when I when I play in a band, I'm I'm normally playing without a pick, and I've I've mm-hmm. learned how to play with a pick using the Gibson app, and uh, I'm oh. now learning to solo. Nice. Yeah. It's really it's really cool, and it, and it uses neuro, um, neuroplasticity. It teaches you a little bit at a time, kind of thing. So you don't. Uh, and the same way I'm learning to play drums is and and keyboards actually. It's just just a uh, little you know little couple of exercises a day for. Last a little while, so you get to build up the muscle memory and the brain memory, right? So, anyway, sidebar. Um, <laughs> the other thing it rolled out, obviously, is Mac OS 13, also known as Ventura. Mm-hmm. And actually, somebody posted Ace Ventura, but as soon as I heard Ventura, I just thought of a Ventura Highway by America. Mm. Is that America? Yeah. That's the right song? Yeah, I'm yeah, not crazy guys... about the name. I used to live down, <laughs> well, I used to live in the town next, right next door to Ventura, Santa Barbara. So, yeah, I mean, Ventura is a cool place, but um, not that cool to be to name an OS after. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> do you, well, do you think Santa Barbara would have been a better name? Santa Barbara is a great name, but it's kind of long for an OS, don't you think? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a little easier than El Capitan. I guess we all struggled with that yeah. for a long time. Yep. Yeah. So, so Ventura is a city. It's about, I would say, it's about a little over an hour, maybe about an hour uh, north of LA on the coast. So the 101 freeway, uh, well, and of course, since I've just uh, reverted into L.A. speak, you have to say the 101 right. before the name of the freeway, right? <laughs> yeah. Up here in the Bay Area, you would say 101. But anyway, the yeah. 101 freeway, is, is its real name is the Ventura Freeway. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay. So because it goes up to Ventura. Oh, I see, right. But it's not actually in Ventura. It's in L.A. What is, when it's called that. There's also a Ventura Boulevard in, in the valley somewhere. The name is why I put in the uh, Mac OS, the body Ventura, ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> oh, yeah. reference to Jesse, the body Ventura, who yes. was the, the guy with the minigun who ain't got time to bleed in the movie Predator. He was also the governor of some state at one point, Minnesota, right? Right, right. Stage manager was the first thing. That was the first mention of stage manager uh, was in the Mac OS part 
So Stage Manager uh, is pretty interesting on the Mac. It's it's this new new way of organizing your desktop. Basically, you can set apps into groups, and then there's a column that shows up on the left where you can quickly switch between different groups. Uh, so you know, it's it's kind of the, the next generation of thing of things like um, I don't even know what, the, what it's called, but but uh, just different ways of managing your your desktop on the Mac and organizing things. I, I think could be useful. We'll talk more about Stage Manager though in a minute because it's it's much more interesting in the next topic, mm-hmm. I would say. So for uh, Stage Manager, like like the whole idea of having uh, extra floating, like I'm you know the multi was a multi multi view or multi desktops. Do you guys do mm-hmm. that? I like I don't really do that because it's sort of a it's always kind of a pain in the neck to switch between desktops. I might start doing it if it's all right there in front of me, you know, with with like it is with Stage Manager. Uh, and of course, it all depends on you having a large enough monitor for this to matter. On a on a on a MacBook Air, it, it makes no sense at all, right? Because you're taking up so much of your real estate just with the little with the little icons. It, it would be useless. But if you have a big monitor, uh, it's just it seems to me it's it's more intuitive to just be able to see everything lined up there and switch between them pretty easily than it than it would be to do like the. Yeah, it's gone through different iterations where it was like a three finger uh, uh, swipe at one point, I think, on the trackpad. And and then there was the one where you go up to the top and it showed a bunch of them at the top. I never got that one to work in an intuitive way for me. So I never really used it. But yeah, I I could, I think I could use the one, the new one where, where everything is lined up in the column on the left. We'll see though. I have to try it in person, in practice to see. I, I use a 14 inch MacBook. And so I run a lot of apps. Oddly enough, I run them. I, I think it's just my influence on iPad. I run a lot of full screen apps or I run split view quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I use the spaces. It, that's their official name for it now. And you're right. They, there were several names for it, but at this point, I think it's called spaces. Uh, it used to be more like a grid layout, which I kind of liked. And then they moved it to just the side to side thing. Um, but I, so I do end up using it that way. I don't like my windows. I arrange like pretty carefully and like the way they, they kept showing it where like things were overlapping constantly was giving me the, the hives. But on that, um, yeah, I could see it. Be, it's an interesting interaction model, and it didn't make that much sense to me when we, he was demoing it on the Mac. But then, as soon as it came to the iPad, I'm like, "Oh, okay this this was clearly made for the iPad." Um, and uh, I haven't had it. I have only played with it for like three minutes. So we'll, we'll we'll get into the iPad stuff later. But yeah, I have to play with it when I whenever I install Ventura. I'm going to have to uh, to play around with it on the Mac as well because I'm always open to some new you know interaction model. Like it's not like my workflow is perfect. Um, so I definitely do want to try it there, and I am kind of glad that they did it on both because. I think it's a good way for people who are like for them. I think Apple's thinking, well, some people have iPads. They might be buying their first Mac and it'd be nice if there was a, a, a workflow that was familiar to them already. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But, um, yeah, it's early days. So as a sneak peek, does that mean you've loaded up iOS 16 on your, iPad, on your on my iPad, iPad? I did. Yeah. Since it was a non-critical device, I decided to put it on there. Um, and I, I got to play with stage manager, but so like for 10 minutes, literally I've been so busy the last couple of days, obviously. Um, but it was, it was just a little weird at first. I'm not like, I'm, I feel like I need to figure out what, how it works and how to, how, you know, how I'm going to use it. Um, but it's cool that you can also still do full screen. You can still do split screen. Uh, and then pop into this uh, stage manager view when you want to work a different way. So it's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I thought was really interesting in Mac OS, I'm jumping ahead a little bit because we're starting to take a lot of time here, uh, was passkeys. And I guess, oh, wow, I guess yeah. passkeys were announced last year, but I somehow missed it or wasn't really paying attention to it. Uh, but they're fully supported now and they look amazing. Uh, 
basically, if if anyone didn't catch this, it's it's a it's a password replacement using two uh, two key uh, encryption. You know, basically the same kind of encryption that that is used throughout the throughout the the internet uh, and protects everything everything that we do uh, on the web. Uh, and now it's just built into the iOS into into the OS. So anytime you want to connect to a website, it will create a key pair, and you have the private key on your local machine. And the remote key goes over the the public key goes over to the remote side, and and uh, uh, so there's never anything private or never anything secure stored on the server. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. It's going to yeah, change I think everything. It's super cool. Yeah, yep. the point they made too about like you can't have a weak passkey, right? You can't. Yeah, exactly. Can't your it just doesn't name. exist, right? And right. It, it you, right. you don't even know what it is, right? All you can do is use your fingerprint yeah. or whatever it is in the secure enclave to to authenticate. Yeah, this has been my dream yep. for decades. Like I don't, like, I don't ever want to get that call from my dad again. Like, what's my email password again? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yes. Like this yeah. is just the way. It, <laughs> can't you just text it to me? I've always yeah. felt that passwords were user hostile. You know, and they're like a relic of the '60s and early Unix, and uh, you know, I just feel like they're it's long overdue for someone to take this out on. And I love that Apple's making this a universal standard along you know, the working with the standards body to make sure this mm-hmm. happens Alliance, everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I cannot wait to see this get adopted. I'm going to try to put it in every app that has authentication as soon as possible. And uh, I'm going to start angry, you know, angrily. If, if in a year people haven't adopted this yet, I'm going to start yelling at them yeah. to make it happen. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason why not, you know, the technology has actually been around for many, many years. It, it could have been done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it just took Apple to do it, yeah. which is great. <laughs> yeah, as I was watching the talk on it yesterday, I actually went to one of my WordPress sites, which is like a sort of my throwaway try-everything-out site, and I started putting WebAuth and plugins on it to try and get that to work. Uh, of course, yeah, I think I'm missing a library in my server, but... Yeah, it's it's already out there. Like if you know if you're running websites, I'm you know I'm gonna have to look into how to do some of the PHP authentication that I wrote myself. You know to figure out how to get it to work. Um, yeah, because I'm I'm all in on this. I was looking at my one password account the other day. I have 2,500 separate passwords in, yeah. one, in one password. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So of yeah. course this is gonna make one password obsolete. Tim, hate to tell you, long term. But yeah. well, we'll see. We'll see. Those are pretty yeah. crafty guys over there. Who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, but you're right. It, I, well, th- I mean, there was there were a ton of things that got Sherlock today. Like, like I use. Um, we didn't talk about this on. Uh, was it Ventura where he was talking about the where he used the webcam thing where he used his phone as a webcam? Oh yeah, cam- oh, yeah. basically Sherlock uh, camo. Yeah, yeah camo and, and details uh, is the app I've been using from. It's part of the um, uh, what's that thing? I'm uh, set up uh, subscription thing that I've <laughs> been signed up to for the last. I don't know how. When did we? When did I demo this for the podcast? I've Never cancel the subscription. Subscription. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's got it's got tons of. There's probably like five or six apps in there I use all the time. So you know, like you know, I use FTP clients and things like that. And yeah. there's a core data or core data library examiner in there as well. Yep. As well as a, a video camera thing. Cool. And you're supporting software made in Ukraine, so that's good. That's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's another point of it. Yeah. Um. Anyways, yeah. So the so the 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 pass keys are securely synced in iCloud. Part of the FIDO alliance is the alliance that we were talking about. Um, quickly on the mail thing, you know, we got the same thing as we have in, in, um, uh, mail on the, on the iPhone is, or messages, I guess you have undo send. Now you can schedule an email to go out at a certain time. Um, if you haven't followed up on uh, an email in a particularly long period of time, um, the mail app like outlook can do now, it will remind you to follow up on things and, uh, which is kind of cool. So that, you know, if you're using mail for work and you're, 
falling behind on your uh, your call your callbacks, right? Um, Metal Three was uh, Game Center is a thing apparently still. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, apparently I, know I, I have Game Center. <laughs> I, I have Game Center in some of my apps, yeah. but I have Game Center in some of my apps. But I, and I and I've resurrected some old OSs and was playing playing with Game Center a few weeks ago. It's still still out there, but the functionality is all gone. But yeah, still a thing, I guess. <laughs> well, it's still there for like the leaderboards and the challenges and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The friend aspect of it is gone. Right. Yeah. And then Metal 3. Um, up, I, so, Jaime, I, I, you're the resident gamer here. I mean, is it like really time for Apple to get into gaming or have they got a leg to stand? I mean, Apple has 5% of the market, right, of, of laptops and computers in general. Are they, do they even stand a chance? My snarky take on the Resident Evil Village part was last year's games today because that <laughs> yeah. game came out may 7th 2021 yeah. um and you know it it feels like if they were to do anything for gaming natively on these devices it kind of has a ever decreasing window of relevance because i am a strong believer that the future of gaming is streaming so i happen to be a streaming Based gamer, I use uh, GeForce now, so I can play all sorts of uh, Steam uh, and Epic and other store um, store providers games that only run on Windows machines. So I am essentially playing on with a you know a dumb terminal on some remote Windows machine, so I can play some games that are just you know not coming to the Mac anytime soon, if they do at all. Um, yeah. And I think it will not be that different than you know, the, the streaming for music or streaming for you know, movies and TV where yes, there will always be uh, other alternatives, I'm not saying that those will go away, but I think the most common case would be, Oh, I'm going to play this game. What, what console or what device do you use? Like, what do I care? It, it plays on my toaster. It plays on my, my fridge. <laughs> you know, I could play the latest, whatever game. So, um, the, some of the stuff they're doing with Metal Three, the Metal FX upscaling is and faster resource loading API, like that's cool. But uh, with five percent of the market, they're never going to be a, a true player for the stuff you really are going to want. You're you're definitely going to have to go to the video game consoles, or you're going to have to go to a Windows PC for this sort of thing. But Metal's not just for gaming. Metal's also for like AR and all that kind of stuff that's coming up down the pipe right and and probably a lot of other sort of computational oh, everything's built on metal actually all of ui kit and swift ui it's all is all it? the rendering yeah, is okay. built on top of metal yeah yeah, yeah. right so mm-hmm. these, these are side, side benefits of having the framework available to us right mm-hmm. yeah and coming back to the coming back to the webcam thing which i kind of jumped ahead a bit on myself was um it's interesting because i i have a 3d printed uh clip that I put on my old display here and it's custom fitted for my old LC cinema display. And I have my iPhone seven or iPhone 10, uh, which I use as my camera cause it's a spare phone that I'd have no use for. Right. Um, but the, the, the interesting things that they did with this, uh, it's sort of a continuity from handing off uh, using your iPhone as a part of the continuity framework to be able to hand off and use your iPhone as a webcam. Um, but is the idea of center stage where, you know, you can move around and the wide angle lens will follow you. I assume that has to do with the camera you're, or the iPhone you're using, mm-hmm. as well as portrait mode to blur your backgrounds automatically. Um, you're not going to do that with an iPhone 7, I don't think, right? And um, studio light was kind of interesting, sort of having the f- faking the sort of effects of having like a ring light. Uh, which can I can tell you, as a ring light user, is kind of annoying to be staring into a bright light all the time when you're on video. <laughs> 
Um, but Deskew, I thought was kind of cool. Like, um, often, you know, I'm taking apart old equipment or whatever. I'd love to be able to do videos and not have to have a second uh, camera to, you know, just to focus on the, the desktop literally and uh, see what's going on. And they're using, they're using some computation and the wide angle lens to sort of capture, you know, your keyboard and your trackpad and whatever you have, have in front of you. So, so Mark, you can finally have that uh, recipe cooking channel that you wanted to have, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Desky looked like magic to me. I was like, how the heck is the, I get it's a wide angle, but how do they do that? Um, but it also felt like a feature that was like an accident. Like basically they were trying to do the continuity camera and they accidentally turn on the wide angle cam and like look down at their hands. And we're like, Oh, wait a second. <laughs> I got something here. <laughs> um, but the thing I like about continuity camera is like, it's just, they're just, it's just Apple saying, look, you know, we're trying to put nicer cameras in our phone, in our uh, laptops and everything and on our studio display that everyone hates. But at the end of the day, you're never going to have a better camera than what's in your pocket. You know, the phone is always going to be five years ahead of every other camera. So just use that. And uh, I love the idea of that clip on the top. I've, I've often wanted to 3D print something myself to just clip to the top when I was using camo. Uh, but I love that it's wireless and I love that you don't even have to turn your phone on in order for it to work. Does that, does, you know what I mean? Like you, you can just point the back of the phone and you don't have to think about like, am I accidentally hitting buttons on the other side of my phone screen when I'm setting this up? Um, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's what Apple does best kind of feature that I think is going to be really useful. Yeah. I never thought about putting the, the, like my phone is hanging in front of my, my, uh, screen i never thought about because i've got the you know big black bezel on the top right but i never thought about hanging it on the back and of course they used a magsafe clip to hold the mm -hmm. iphone 13 i assume onto the back of the, the device that was kind of cool yeah and, and so getting on to what mark was, was alluding to ipad os they're talking about having desktop class um features in in ipad os like you know things like um like toolbar menus, uh, if you're if you're building an app that's like it has an editor, like maybe a drawing app or something like that, um, you can have uh, like a, a series of toolbars. And if you're using a um, document or browser type app, you can have you know different kind of um, tool toolbars for that um, in your app as well. And uh, so, and I guess making things more more desktop class. Somebody posted a picture onto. Um, speaking of stage manager, I posted a picture on Twitter today of an iPad app with floating windows in it. Yeah, well, this is this is a huge, huge update to multitasking, multi windows on the iPad. Uh, you know, as you guys know, I've, I've been focusing on the iPad a lot in the past year or so. So this makes a really, really big deal. So as of iOS, uh, iPad OS 15, we had that split window where the, you get a line down the middle and and you have one window on the left, one window on the right, and you could have these things that kind of floated on top, but they were always a little bit awkward. They were never really that useful, I, I found. Uh, but now with iPad OS 16, we have truly re true multi-windows. You can resize the windows. You can have windows overlapping on top of each other. It's really a, a desktop-style windowing experience. So it's it's really, really changing everything, and it's going to change the way we use iPads completely, I think. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. And Stage Manager is the technology they use to, to manage all the windows and, uh, on the iPad. And I think we have drag and drop already on iPad too. Because I mean, I, I do, do this, like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm constantly using multiple apps on my on my iPad, even on my phone, um, you know, where I go to one screen and I copy content and bring it over to another one. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff, yeah. So to be able to, yeah, right, to be able to do this, um, again, now, now I'm looking at this lame iPhone or iPad 
Pro 12 that I've or 11 that I've got. It's too small, too small now for this kind of feature. But <laughs> right, well, no, right. but it is cool. Stage Manager it's does totally require cool. an M1, and uh, part of the reason behind that ah. is that um, it has to do with the virtual memory swap more than anything else, really. Um, so basically, now the iPad can take some of that two terabyte storage space that you bought that you didn't really need <laughs> it is basically handing <laughs> handing over 16 gigs of that per app um which is kind of cool if you think about it. so like, depending on how much storage space it's sort of like the old virtual ram we used to do back in the day only with a, an ssd that's super fast um and it's pretty cool in that yeah i mean uh, like i said i only got the chance to play with it for a few minutes but i, I had my mail app there and I, I i created a new email i i replied to somebody's email and rather than it popping into a split view on the side or popping up a, a modal, it actually just threw another window up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it felt like mail on my Mac. You know, it was kind of cool that way. Uh, so yeah, that paradigm. And then you combine that with the true external monitor support um, where you could you know, theoretically plug this into a 6K monitor uh, and have multiple apps running at once. I do think that this is going to be uh, a big deal for pro users who really want to push their iPads further. Um, yeah, and, and they did it in a way where you have to turn it on. So like the average, like my dad playing with this, his iPad is not going to accidentally bump into this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Do, you, do you think that's just for the beta? Uh, and will they... <laughs> Will it uh, be the default when the final version comes out? That's a good question. I mean, they put it into uh, Control Center, so it's basically just a button on Control Center. Um, But I don't know whether they will make it. Yeah, because that was my first thought. I just I dragged up from the bottom of the screen thinking I could just kind of get it to work. And it was just not. I said, how the heck do you invoke this? And then I had to read on Twitter that someone said, oh, you have to turn it on. Yeah, they could make it the default eventually. But I do. And especially now, since they're limiting it to M1, you could be pretty sure that anyone with that iPad is not a casual, like someone who just wants to watch netflix um so yeah i don't know what they'll do with it long term but um yeah it's, it's extremely interesting what they're doing with the ipad in general and i do like these desks i like how they keep calling it desktop class not mac apps um, but mm-hmm. basically like right. oh, yeah, customizable yeah. toolbars and uh you know all these things that we've had in more powerful apps like document-based um tools uh things like find and replace throughout the whole system that uh, you know apps can implement very easily um and menus now like the textual menu you can you can actually put like, you know, the menu, you, you select some text and you can copy paste, whatever, like you can make one of those menus on any object. It could be an image. It could be any kind of button. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, the advancements they did here, clearly they, they don't want to turn the iPad into a Mac, but they, they get it. They get that people want to do more with their iPads. Lots of cool. I mean, the memory swap for me is huge. Like being a, you know, an old Unix nerd is, is knowing that, you know, because um, I mean, I mean, the, the um, in spite of the fact that you buy like a two fifty six or one terabyte storage on the iPad, it's always irked me that you you couldn't really use that space. Um, so now they're allowing you to, to to do that to build better, bigger things. I think up to sixteen gigabytes of memory they said, which is still well. I mean, it's Mac level memory management, right? Um, in terms of being able to to take advantage of that amount of memory, right? You could do some fun music stuff with 16 gigs per app. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, true, yeah. true. Yeah, do you think we'll get to like a Logic or a, or a Final Cut on iPad with this kind of horsepower? I could see it happening, and we're getting closer, that's for sure. To me, RAM was always the limiting factor for those types of apps, and this seems to solve the problem, but I don't know. We'll see. It's a limiting factor on a Mac, never mind. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I, I'm thinking more like a main stage app even would be really cool, but then you start loading virtual instruments into that thing, and the, yeah, the RAM just explodes immediately. I think we tough job. Other than you know things like reference color, reference mode, accurate colors, those kind of things coming to like to those are more um, you know uh, 
desktop publishing kind of things like Photoshop, mm-hmm. video editing kind of tools and capabilities. Plus the, you know, like we mentioned, undo and redo and uh, updating to f- updating files, like to be able to add file extensions to, to, you know, edit the file extension on a file, which is something that we can't do currently on, on a, sort of the closed uh, wall of an iPad, right? Or iOS, I guess it is. iPad OS. Yeah. I'm curious what, yeah, I'm curious if files has got, I haven't think a chance to play with that last night, but I'm curious how, how many improvements they've made there. Hopefully a lot, because files is probably the weakest part of the iPad right now. Yeah, but again, like like I'm constantly sticking things in the files app. I have been for a while, and, and of course, a nice that syncs to the uh, iCloud drive on, on um, the Mac as well through iCloud, right? So I can pick up things, I can put things in from my Mac or from or from the iPad and access them all around the world, all around my devices. Anything else we want to say about iPad before we move on to the State of the Union? Let's move on. We're getting late on time here. Sure. Okay. Whip through this thing. Um, I think one of the one of the cool things is, is Xcode Cloud. I guess it, so. I wonder if uh, Xcode Cloud is free for developers until the end of 2023. I believe, right? Um, yeah. And, and that's in a small a small use. I think it's like uh, 25 hours per month. Yeah. 25 hours per month is free, but then they're going to they're going to introduce other tiers that you can opt into. I think sooner than 2023 if you want to. So that's that's interesting, and uh, and, and I think we we kind of we're not really 100 percent sure, but we kind of suspect it's sort of a buddy build kind of um, metamorphosis into into a, a tool. I don't know if it, has anybody here used XCloud Cloud yet or no. I think it's on the back burner for us, but just in terms of some functionality, but. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to maybe take it out for a drive and see see how it works, right? Mm-hmm. So here's a question I have for you. How do you say this next word that I've got on the notes? <laughs> <laughs> My entire life, I've been saying regex. Yeah. And you've been wrong. It's regex. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's I, regex. Also, I also say gif. I also yes. say gif. So. <laughs> you say, uh, yeah, you've been right. So the actually, the inventor of, of, of the, uh, the gif. Yeah, it's regular expression, right? So it should be regex. Yeah, it, yeah, it should be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, guess, I guess the guy who taught that. me about regex, regex, was, regex. was wrong. Yeah, must be. <laughs> so they, so they basically like I use regex a lot in. Um, I'm being careful now uh, in my my server side coding because I do all kinds of you know um, data manipulation when I pick up data from a database and send it over to my phones or, you know, in a JSON packet or whatever, or I just want to search for things or parse things. I've been doing it many for many, many years. And it's kind mm-hmm. of interesting what they've done here. I haven't really, I haven't watched the sessions yet, but I, I'm getting the gist of it that uh, writing a regex, reg, <laughs> regex, regex is, is, it's challenging. It does look a little sort of uh, alien, like you're, you know, walking, trying to decipher a, a Mayan tomb message or something like that um, <laughs> in terms of how you basically use the syntax to capture what's in the string. Um, what Apple's done here is they've, they've turned those red regex expressions. I'm saying I'm doing it again, turn those reg regex expressions into uh, easily handleable um, English looking words, right. To string together um, a computation that would basically do the parsing that you're looking for, right. Looking for patterns in your, in your, your code like for example if i wanted to in an api check whether or not an email uh, format was valid right you know like a certain number of characters followed by an at symbol followed by a, you know more characters followed by a dot followed by two or three characters right 
and you would use that sort of pattern to validate whether an email email address is is legit, right? So you could write using Apple's regex, you could say, you know, contains three words with a dot, you know, at symbol, and you know how I just explained the the regex. You can you can create that pattern now in in Swift in in a sort of Swift UI style. I think we kind of alluded to that earlier that Swift UI sort of patterns is is sort of pervasive here in these tools, right? Yeah, and I, I love the way they did this because on the one hand, if you're an expert, you can just do it the old-fashioned way in your cryptic code, uh, and it'll even give you syntax highlighting, which is awesome. Uh, but then you can also, if you're a beginner or a newbie, <laughs> you can basically do, like you said, they have this really declarative way of expressing each, you know, okay, X number of digits, you know, this many spaces. Uh, and you can mix and match it too, which is really great. So it feels like it's it's a way for more people to get into regex than have been in the past. I mean, I've only dabbled with it here and there. I can definitely recognize a few of the expressions, but um, this is kind of, I think is going to be really helpful for me, at least to kind of do the mixed version of it and then eventually get myself to where I could write the cryptic part. I, one of the uh, presenters joked that it looks like a cat walked across your keyboard basically yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah and it does help out with with really one of the long-standing weak points of, of swift is is just how swift handles strings i mean it's it's just way more awkward than it should be uh, and this helps quite a bit or, or hopefully will help quite a bit it, it is it is interesting this this is a little bit of an aside actually uh i've been noticing how swift you mentioned because it's written like swift ui but swift ui is becoming a language that contains a whole bunch of different languages. Have you noticed this? Like Swift UI is kind of kind of has its own language. This has its own language. Uh, the Swift charts, which we haven't talked about yet, has its own language. Uh, and and I mean, it's sort of an obvious thing. They even talked about it. They when they introduced the DSLs with the property. Uh, what are they? Not property wrappers, but. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, so they, the domain-specific languages a couple of years ago was part of the whole underlying technology that enabled things like SwiftUI with the, with the, um, uh, you know, the way you just write a list of components without a comma, right? Dot, you mean dot, dot, dot syntax, or yeah. um, no? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about now. I'm drawing a blank. Um, the um, hey man, it's your aside. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I said, hey man, it's your aside. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so Swift, when they introduced all the command builder, commands builder uh, technology and enabled all these DSLs, domain-specific languages, they're really putting that into use now. So now we have all these very, as the name says, domain-specific mini-languages built inside of Swift, like one for Swift UI, then one for uh, uh, Swift charts that we haven't talked about, this new one for regexes, uh, and there's probably other ones in there, too, that, that we haven't even talked about yet. It's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, it's good and it's bad. Uh, it, it's it's good because it's very powerful. It makes Swift very powerful. But it's but in some ways it's bad because you, as a Swift developer, can't necessarily just look at some code and know exactly and reason about how it works. Right? It's, you know, with the regex stuff, there's there's some weird syntax. Weird to me, at least, syntax where you set up your uh, expression with the with the slashes on either side, and then there's mm-hmm. just text inside, and there can even be spaces and things in, inside these slashes, and that that's a very weird kind of thing. Usually, if you want spaces, you have to 
you know, quote it, right, or something like that. To me, it just looks funny. Uh, and there's these other, there's pound hash size the signs that are specific. Yeah, the carrot to thing, selection. beginning of the line, dollar sign, end of the line. Yeah, uh, yeah. Period, meaning any number of characters and asterisks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can't you can't just come up come into it cold and reason about how the code works without some knowledge about what it's doing. And I guess you always need that, but but you know, in some of the I don't want to say simpler languages, but, you know, but like an objective C, you know, there was, you could look at some objective C and you could always reason about what was going on because the, the syntax was relatively simple. I don't know. But yeah, like I said, it's, it's good and it's bad. It's, it's very powerful. So that's the good. It's bad in that, in that maybe, you know, you have to become more of an expert on a specific part of the language as opposed to just being an expert in the language overall. True. It does have those scary square brackets too that freaks people out, right? Objective C. Well. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I'm, regex. Regex does. Oh, that's Reg, true. That's right. Yeah. Regex does. Yeah. Regex. Yeah. Regex. Yeah. Regex does. Yeah. Because I mean, when you yeah, if you want to do like uh, um, numbers, you do square bracket zero to nine, and if you want to do alpha, you do square bracket lowercase a to z, uppercase a to z. Mm-hmm. And that sort of that's how you sort of say these are the words I'm looking for, and then you put a, a curly brace with a three in it to say I'm looking for three of those characters. Yeah, that's how that's how you build a regex. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but you know, if you if you did any sort of uh, Unix scripting back in the day, you would have had to learn all that stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Package plugins. Hey, let's customize Xcode. What do you think? Hmm. That was a segue. this looks interesting uh it'll be interesting to see what people build and make available to other people i mean i like the idea of just being able to run things on the fly Uh, you know things like code generation it feels like the old plugin architecture for xcode but for the modern era yeah totally yeah yeah we used to use a a cron cron something or other not cron but uh there was a tool we used to use to validate our our objective c like as a team um, you know, if you sent a PR and you had to run this particular this extension on your code to clean up all the, you know, bad formatting that you would put oh, in your a code. Oh, a linter? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a linter, yeah. I forget what yeah. it was called, but uh, began with a C. And then same thing with SwiftLint, like we were all using now, right, on our servers, uh, or our build servers to, you know, to basically make sure that, you know, we've got, you know, getting rid of those evil, you know, return characters that don't, don't belong on, you know, white characters that don't belong in line by themselves, which, again, I never understood the problem for, <laughs> problem with those other than them taking up unnecessary space. But, um, you know, sort of cleaning up, like, you know, now we have the control I to, you know, fix your indenting and that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, adding a, adding a, creating a plugin for that kind of, I can, I can see, uh, I was kind of wondering about this and Joe, you might have one way on this is, is the potential for people to make plugins and then have like an, a third party market of plugins, you know, mm-hmm. oh, that people could buy into. Could you sell to, plugins? To the huh, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. Like we need a plugin store now, right? <laughs> not, not on Apple's watch. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. That's, that's, inter- I guess you could sell it technically. I mean. I mean, the the trick would be how do you prevent other people from just copying it and giving it to other people? Oh, it's yeah. back to the shareware, shareware yeah. idea. But I mean, you know, yeah. tip jar kind of stuff, you know, yeah. GitHub. I, I'm skeptical yeah. about anyone's ability to actually make a real business out of it. But mm. you no, I, as, I was just as saying as like as a side, hobby sort of thing. Obvious yeah. thing, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure a lot of people will do it as, a, as an open source thing and just for the, you know, the heck of it and the challenge and to be nice to the community, there'll be lots of these. Um, I'm putting money on it right now. Paul Hudson's going to have some packages by the end of the week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that will automatically write your entire Robin Swift UI for you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, I, I even like the prospect of just being able to run Swift Lint like randomly rather than on every build. I could take it out of my build phase, right? And then just do it at the end of the day every day right? mm-hmm. instead of having it like <laughs> eat up cycles every time I do a build. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I think I think it, it, it the package the idea of packaging that we're just scratching the surface on what they what they talked about. Or, but the, I mean, there's two sessions coming up in the next couple of days. I'm probably going to watch them both. But yeah, just because I'm interested in in sort of automating, you know, automating redundant tasks. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to SwiftUI. So so what's been missing from SwiftUI is a lot of sort of utilities and functions and things like that. We've we've complained about a few things that have been missing over the last couple of years. I mean, the first one up that they introduced was ShareSheet, um, which I didn't even realize was not a thing. I guess we've, we've only had alerts and, and that kind of stuff in SwiftUI, but now we have a proper uh, ShareSheet um, API that we can build mm-hmm. into our apps as well. Right in SwiftUI, and I don't, I didn't catch whether we can customize. I guess we can just add content to it because, if I'm not mistaken, ShareSheet used to be you, you had like an array of things you would put in there, right? Like whether you could send email or mm-hmm. um, AirDrop and that kind of stuff, right? Actually, it, it was it was kind of a funny API. It was an array of things that you were, you could turn off, and turn off, it right. would decide <laughs> it would decide what to show based on the type of the thing that you were sharing. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. And so it would choose a set of them, and then you could choose to turn off the ones you didn't want. It's kind of a funny API in that sense. Sort of a context-aware tool, right? Yeah, but yeah. it was it was good for future-proofing because you didn't know what kind of apps were going to come out that could also True. run text files or you know that could also handle URLs, that kind of a thing. So it put more power into the into the user's hands. But yeah, I agree. It was it was a really weird API to work with. It still is. <laughs> but yeah. So the thing Did that we use Jaime, by the way. No, I'm there. here. I, this, is, <laughs> this is all good stuff. He's, got the, po- he's, like Greg, the he's got the bag of popcorn and he's just consuming, right? <laughs> Are you watching the basketball game? Yep. No, I'm, I'm, I'm watching all basketball. The basketball game ended an hour ago. <laughs> watching you all go through, you know, what's essentially like a, you know, an outline here. I'm like, eventually they're going to talk about the collection view stuff and the switch. <laughs> well, we're going to get there now. You spoil that's, spoilers. That's right. We're saving that. But Tim can always change it in post, so it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, since you spoiled it for everybody, we'll talk about it now. Jeez. So yeah, Mark remarked on the uh, we were we were watching the uh, keynote on the Slack that hey, was that collection view I just saw? And, and um, I replied to him, but I, I went back and watched the, this part of the talk again. And that grid API, I think, is the new um, the new sort of shiny thing that is very similar to collection view. Um, no, no, I wasn't talking about the grid. I was talking about the uh, the layout protocol mm-hmm. right. that lets yeah, you do yeah. fully custom layouts. But I think it's called uh, yeah, because it's like a layout API. But the the grid part of it was was part of that. Like we had grid last year, right? And then they've added in this, the abilities to. Um, create like collection view like things, even though it's not collection view controller, blah, blah, blah. Um, and as, but as well, they've also brought in this thing called collection view cell, which you can then, you know, create what goes into each individual division. And um, using the layout, like, laying things out, you can um, have, and they even called one of them a flow layout, which is why I kind of went, hey, that sounds a lot like collection view to me, right? Because I, Mark, you and I both got into collection view right from the get go, and it was really painful at first, if you remember, right? Yeah, yeah, it it, it was pretty uh, kludgy at the, the the first phase of it. Yeah, but what, when he mentioned flow layout, it was just in passing as sort of a reference uh, as a, a vertically scrolling or, or horizontally horizontally scrolling kind of grid style thing. Uh, so the difference between 
that. So that that has existed already in Swift UI. That existed last year. Grid layout is a little different. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't do the like the scrolling and the you know the cell reuse kind of stuff. It's meant for a case where it's a fixed size cell that you a fixed size grid that you know beforehand that you can lay out. Like the photos app when you're looking at all your thumbnails. No, not like that because that's like a collection view. This would be if you wanted if you if you knew beforehand you know the layout the number of cells that you want and you know exactly what they need to be but they have some uh some kind of of uh some layout that you need to custom define like some cells are bigger than others or whatever or some spacing is different or whatever uh then you would use the, the grid layout so a grid layout is not a uh a reusable cell type of thing that's the that's that's the difference and that's where those all those resizable cells that come in do it auto resizing things hmm. that they talked about in uh well i guess that was in one of the breakout sessions yeah I, I i went to one today where they were talking about um the fact how um um it was building compose or uh, customizing layouts in swift yeah UI, that one. i believe yeah. that one's yeah. yeah yeah and they were talking about you know how you know um the how the con how the and and they talked about the demystifying talk that we talked about last year that was one of the references one of the videos they've sent you off to go and watch again um because how the the uh object you know gets its um knows its size from the content view that contains it and and then what it has below it and all that kind of stuff so um mm-hmm. and some of the so like a horizontal grid can can grow horizontally but not vertically and vice versa right mm-hmm. sort of idea oh right yeah he was talking about why you can't have auto resizing uh in this you know sort of streaming kind of uh of approach because you don't know how you don't necessarily know how big the cells that are off screen are going to be mm-hmm. uh in, unless you pre-calculate them so you do you, you know in the in the direction perpendicular to your scrolling you know so you can you can do it that way but in the opposite direction you don't know in the direction of scrolling you don't know uh, he was he was going into some detail on that, and that's why you can't easily. So you don't. So basically, say say you start in the middle of your set of items. Uh, you don't know exactly where to place them, or well, you might know how wide they are, but you don't know exactly where to place them on the screen because you don't know how far the distance all the way up to one end of the collection is. Right, so you don't know exactly where the offset from the edge of the screen is in in the direction of scrolling, unless you've calculated the sizes of all of them all the way up. And this is this is how we have to do it in the old days, right? Uh, so uh, now I forget the rest of the context of why he was talking about that, though. Uh, but let's, oh. let's get back to what you were. I think you were talking. I just went on the uh, documentation here. Layout elements is the is the heading you were looking for. Is that where you got the carousel and grid and? Um, row and section and stack and layout elements. So there's a layout. There's a new layout protocol okay. that lets you arbitrarily set the positions of your views, just like in a in a uh, in a general UI collection view layout. Not a not a flow layout. UI collection collection view layout. Yeah, I found it here. Basic V stack and and um, layout protocol. It's animatable. Was that animatable? Animatable. Animatable. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, using a view builder, blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll have a link in the show notes for this particular page I found. Cool. All 
All right. And then, um, so do we have anything to say about collection view cell that they had, they've talked about here? Is that what I think it is? Like that's the actual no, building block? No, the thing they talked about with collection view cells is that you can actually, uh, you can take a UI collection view cell and you, you, you give it a configuration of Swift UI type cell. And then you just write Swift UI for the cell itself. Like you don't have to make it, you don't have to put it in some sort of host view to make a collection view cell. That's just all Swift UI. So it's a nice way. If you can't go full on, you know, Swift UI yet, you have a UI kit view controller with a collection view in it. You can at least do your cells in Swift UI, uh, which is a big step. And honestly, that's where Swift UI really shines is those little small, you know, containers that need to be laid out ever so slightly. You know, doing that stuff in, in auto layout has always been a massive pain in the butt. So I'm looking forward to being able to do this where you can just like take the collection view cells as like a starting point for throwing Swift UI views all over your app. Yeah. And it uses that uh, that content configuration stuff that they introduced. Uh, a couple of years back, with the list with the list configurations inside collection views, they introduced a new concept of cell configurations, where you just uh, create a, basically a, a, a lightweight struct entity describing what the cell is supposed to do. You set it as the content configuration of your cell, and then the system lays it out for you, so you don't have to lay out. So, so now there's a new type of content configuration that can take a UI hosting view configuration and then you can just there's just a closure that you write uh where you put in your swift ui code it's actually pretty cool and you could always do this kind of thing by taking your cell having adding a sub adding a ui hosting view as a sub view and then putting your swift inside that your swift ui but it was never clear that that was going to be performant or whether that would scale correctly because it was just very you know ad hoc and hacky uh but with this it's you know, Apple's endorsing it. Apple's, you know, saying, yes, you can do this. This works. So, so this is a, yeah, a really good step forward for people who, as Joe said, you you can't make the, the full leap into Swift UI and you've got all these collection views hanging around and you need to, you need to, to fill them with something. You can fill them with Swift UI now. Pretty cool. Yeah. And then you want to talk about Swift charts, Mark? Uh, sure. Yeah. So this is something that's, that's kind of interesting, especially because the company I work for is very big on charts. Uh, oh, yeah, right. There's a whole new framework called Swift charts that, that it looks to me like it was, it, it came from some of the same roots as, as a uh, care kit. I don't know if anyone ever played with that. It was mm. a, that was a charting library used open source charting library supported by Apple built by Apple used mainly for like, um, health researchers and things like that. Right. It never got a lot of press, but, but some of it looks kind of similar, but it's way, way better. Mm-hmm. And they put, definitely put a whole bunch of work into it. And it's also with UI now, whereas the other one was UI kit, but basically, yeah, it's a, it's a charting library. You know, there's a, there's a whole language uh, that, uh, that like I was talking about earlier, domain specific language. Um, so it looks very much like a Swift UI kind of uh, 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 view. I mean, it is a Swift UI view. Really, so, but inside there's all sorts of, you know, there's ways to set up your x and y axes and what the data is and and how to format it. There's a lot of a lot of cool, interesting stuff. There's a whole bunch of talks on this. I've I've only attended the first couple of or watched the first couple of them, but there's hmm. a whole whole bunch of thing things going on here. This is something that it's it's interesting because it doesn't seem like it's something that everyone would use, but they're spending a lot of time on it here at uh, this WBC. Well, they, they do that a lot. I mean, every, every like yeah. I, I was going to say, like they they usually find something that they that you kind of have to go and sit through. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
Yeah, but I think the health team alone is going to use the ever-living heck out of this because those charts mm. are all over the health app. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I, for one, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing that gets me super excited because it's like it's it's taking like Swift UI when it first came out. It's like, okay, well, this was a watch OS kind of layout engine that they're now saying we can do the everything Apple does it via Swift UI, right? And and then at first you're kind of incredulous, like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like this is like they're really banking on this. But then you, this is sort of the you're see, you're starting to see the benefits of all this evolution of Swift and Swift UI together. Like you said, the domain specific language, all that stuff comes together. And the, I, I too watch these talks and just the first couple of like you can write four or five lines that have an entire chart and, and that's animated that has an legend automatically added to it it's all it's got all of the uh you know accessibility stuff built into it uh the one thing they demoed was all, was awesome it was a bar chart and not you know for accessibility not only did it read like okay uh you know uh, donuts you know cakes whatever and then like it would take 50 and then it would, so it would read each line to you but then they have one where it would literally just play a tone and so you can get an idea of the lengths of the lines based on this the pitch of the of the tones that it would play like things like that it was so neat and you get all of that for free uh it, it to me it's this is like this is one of those where the heck was this when I made my caffeine tracker app because <laughs> like, I, yeah, yeah, I, like yeah. I really yeah. could have built my charts in like a day with this it's pretty amazing mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. super excited it was so I used to, I used to use Google Google had a chart thing for web development I used to use that and for a similar purpose and, and I think the same sort of idea you you basically you know wrote you put in like the, the, whether you wanted a bar chart or a pie chart or whatever and and it would kind of automatically do it and color it for you and. Oh yeah, there's lots of there's lots of charting libraries out there. Uh, this one's just interesting because it's Swift UI and it's yeah, it's and got it's, Apple on it's, it. Yeah, it's it's native yeah, and it's, it's, it's got the Apple on it. It's easier than yep. any other chart uh, plugin that I've yeah. seen. Yeah, yeah. SDK. Yeah. Yep. No, no, definitely. Yep. Yeah, 100%. and and uh, you mentioned pie chart. And that's kind of funny. That is the one auto mission. There is no pie chart in Swift charts yet. I imagine they will add one, but I didn't yeah. see them. Table yeah, table flip. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. We need Swift table flip. Um, viewed it. Viewed it fit is part of part of what I was talking about with the with the. Uh, the um, talk we were just talking about, the, the composable layouts, um, using view that fits to sort of mm-hmm. he- uh, help things. Because it, 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 one is interesting thing you talked about in that in that um, uh, view, uh, layout talk was about um, you know not using a geometry reader to uh, to try and you know hack your layouts kind of thing, right? Because mm-hmm. geometry reader talks about the, the thing it contains and doesn't really communicate to the container. Right. Other way around, right? It's, it reads it? from the okay. container. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the but the thing about it is, is that that um, viewed it fits is a new sort of wrapper you can use to to have it automatically um, scale things whether you're in landscape or or portrait or going from iPhone to iOS. Well, it's a little more than that. It, you can actually specify different views, and it will choose which one fits your area best. Like there's an example that in this in the same session that we were talking about earlier, where there's a case where he starts with a horizontal layout of some buttons, but then when things get very small, there's not enough room to fit all the buttons laid out horizontally. So he wants to switch to a vertical layout of the same buttons. So he uses this view that fits function uh, where you, where he, he just makes a list of possible views that can be used. And he puts the horizontal list in there and then the vertical list. uh, And, uh, whichever one fits the space in the order that they're in the list, that's the one it chooses. So this is kind of an interesting and, and sort of weird thing. It's like you're not just giving, here's the view. 
you know, resize this view to fit the area. It's no, here's, here's a, here's a list of views and system. You choose the one that fits mm-hmm. kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting thing. This is, this is something kind of new. Yeah. I like that because it gave you an easy path to considering how your, your, how will you fit this in and, it sort of works. So like view that fits either this vertical stack or this horizontal stack, a horizontal stack. The decide for me kind of lets you move on with your life instead of having to right. really yeah. spend a lot of time on that. When you really just wanted to, you know, back to what Swift UI tries to do, it's like declaratively say, well, you, you decide here. And and I don't know if it, because I haven't seen the sessions that, that cover this topic. I don't know if it takes into account, um, like dynamic type and stuff, but I really hope it does. It's like, hey, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I'm sure it does. Perfect. Yeah. See, so it's even better. It's like, well, normally this should be this way, but if they cranked up the dynamic type um, for their their settings, it, mm-hmm. then use this other one. And I just don't even have to know nor care how they got to that point. Yeah, you don't. You don't have to care why it doesn't fit. <laughs> like the, right. the system yeah, figures yes. it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is interesting. Yeah. I mean, so obviously, it's going to be a little bit more work up front because you're going to have to define multiple views, but you don't have to deal with all that futzing around when you get this, you know, corner case that doesn't work, and you have to tweak it and add some, you know, checks and conditions and things like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, overall, probably it's a it's a pretty good step forward. I think and it's just in time for iPads to have Windows, <laughs> like with yeah, various exactly. sizes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I'm sure that was part of yeah part of the uh, thinking there. Right, and then on the navigation stack is kind of is a new paradigm. Where we had before we had navigation view and then navigation title, and then you would have navigation destination depending on where you were going to go when you clicked on an item. Um, this navigation stack kind of replaces that whole. Um, thing as well, right? Yeah, and it, it fixes one of the longest problems with with Swift UI, which is that you couldn't just pop back to the to the root view <laughs> of a navigation right, stack. Right. Now you yeah. can, so that's nice. Yeah, in fact, like in in one of the apps I work on, we have a whole giant class just of, of navigation stack for for routing around the app. Yeah. Right. Cool. And we talked about passkeys already. Um, on the AR side, they've got this new, uh, using the LiDAR camera scan kit and room model, which are new ways of sort of modeling a room. Like as you scan it, it can build a 3D model of the furniture and the features inside your room. Um, that's available on uh, the new iPad, or with iPad OS. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about map kit with 3D elevations, which is kind of cool. That's I think that's the one where they showed the, the Coit Tower, actually. Yeah. Uh- uh, the kind of new, the new and interesting thing about MapKit for devs, there were two things. One is that there's now a set of server-side map uh, a- APIs, so you can do things like geolocation versus geolocation from your server rather than from the app, which was always something that someone like Google Maps had, but mm-hmm. but Apple Maps never had. And the other thing is that some of the things like uh, I'm going to call it Street View, even though it's technically not called Street View, uh, that's now available for devs to use inside your apps. It used to just be available in the, in the they Apple. Look, look, look around. around they call look it. around. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. You can almost see yourself building an app around that. There, especially like a travel app or something to be able to just take advantage mm. of Apple's photography in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then we have uh, live text. We can now, we can now use live text in our apps instead of just um, in the photo app or camera app, I should say. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can take advantage of, of the same sort of thing and, you know, steal Tim's password off his monitor kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> data scanner. Oh, data scanner API. This is for, for reading barcodes and QR codes and that kind of stuff, right? Mm. Um, I'm not sure if we had to have third-party libraries for that before, I guess, right? 
Well, it's not that we ha- so it was enabled in the camera, but did we as devs have access to that? I don't. I don't know. Maybe we never did. I don't, I'm not even sure. I don't know. I can't. I think. I, I know. I think. I'm pretty sure I've seen um, apps that could read barcodes and stuff like that, like for inventories and things like that. Right. Oh, so. sure. But but did it use an Apple API or did it use a third party API? Yeah, I don't know. And then so, yeah, so overall, we'll wrap up with the whole sort of WWDC thing for today is, uh, you know, they had 175 sessions and plus labs and lounges. I don't know if you get or digital lounges again this year where you like I went to a watch party today with that uh, consumable layout thing today. I didn't really participate in the lounge, but but you can go back and ask questions. And I think people have been posting shots from uh, from. Uh, to Twitter about uh, the really cool things that they've seen in in the talks. I've, I've linked. I've caught a couple of them earlier today, but uh, we don't have time to go through them. Um, actually, one of the things I saw on Twitter today, which was which was kind of really interesting, and, I, and it was in one of the talks that I have to go back and watch. And is it the explanation of of a sum, the sum word, sum keyword, um, in terms of how you know you, if you have a thing that is where you have a where case and that's of of a particular um type then you could that's how the sum word kind of replaces that i don't know if you guys have looked into that at all but sum is sort of a word that doesn't doesn't quite make i don't quite grok it yet is what i'm trying to say right and uh this this uh talk uh, kind of explained uh how that works i'll i'll find that one that tweet and i'll put it in the show notes um and then quickly i just got a link here for the show notes the difference between mac to uh m2 macbook air and macbook pros in case you're curious about them I covered off some of the points earlier when we were talking about it. And then in terms of getting absolutely no sleep because he's insane, Paul Hudson has already got an entire talk on what's new in Swift UI for iOS 16. And it's like multiple, I don't know, what does he ever sleep, this guy? Um, I don't know if you guys have had a look at it, but uh, it's quite extensive. He's got a video already, and uh, he's broken it down into... Uh, bite-sized pieces in terms of all the different things that you can look at a lot of what we talked about already um but yeah just uh i'm sure he's going to keep going at this uh, stuff all weekend for all week i should say and uh, i actually this one he uh turning on the the fomo and jealousy thing he said he recorded the video in the apple podcast studio so that was kind of cool hmm. all right we did that once well, not a video once. but we recorded yeah but it, it, yeah. and it wasn't quite that easy to get into by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was the um, last in-person WDC, though, right? Uh, that was, yeah, yeah. We were one of the last people in the podcast studio. Yep. yep. Not by design, but by just how that worked out. Um, mm-hmm. So, picks. You guys have any picks? Oh, yes, you have picks. Okay. So, I, I've got, I'm just going to go real quick. I've got one uh, here. I forgot why I put this here, but I think Paul Hudson um, turned. Yes, it's under Paul Hudson's um, uh, banner here. Uh, WWDC community, um, bunch of links and meetups around WWDC, but some a lot of uh, um, tools are going to be coming here for people interested in this kind of stuff. I've got to go back to too many tweets this week. I've got to tell you, I'm getting overwhelmed. Oh yeah, it was uh, a bunch of resources that uh, the WWDC community was putting together, and I had said to them, "Why don't you put this into a GitHub page rather than a thread of I don't know about you guys, but like when somebody puts up a Twitter thread with you know." 50 tweets in it <laughs> i get tired after about the first 10 um and i and i don't think mark would ever go in and read them but uh the uh so i suggested they do a github page and apparently they're connected to paul hudson so under the two straws uh identity on quick on github they will have a bunch of links from wwdc uh related to the stuff that they're they're talking about 
that's my first pick. And then over to Jaime for the next pick. Yeah, earlier we mentioned iOS Dev UK and Code Mobile UK. Well, guess what? Uh, iOS Dev UK is returning in person September of this year, of 2022. And Code Mobile UK is returning at some indeterminate time in 2023. But it's nice to see those uh, coming back to uh, back to life as in-person events. Well, speaking of in-person events, uh, I believe that 360 iDev, our podcast favorite uh, conference, is, is in-person this year, too. Um, Joe, are you going to be going to in-person to Denver Oh, yeah. I'll one? be there. Uh, it's from August 28th to the 31st this year at the Grand Hyatt, same place it's been for many years now going. Um, I'm going to be flying back from Berlin, like and getting there, like right on Saturday night late. <laughs> but I'll, I'll probably just go straight to Denver instead of coming back up here first to Boulder. Um, so, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, I've bought my I bought my virtual ticket earlier. I think I don't know if I did bought one this year as well. But I, I attended that online last year. It was still still a lot of fun. But one of my favorite conferences after WWDC. Although I guess you know I have more fun at at 360 iDev. All right, and Joe, over to you for your pick. Is that in person this year? Were you yeah, saying that? It, well, yeah. it's both. It's it's online and and in person. Yeah, okay. it'll be a hybrid like last year. Um, which hopefully some more people this year. It really depends on where the the numbers are spiking at the time. <laughs> We're uh, in the middle of different waves of things, but it worked out pretty well last year. And uh, with the virtual, like kind of mixed together and so much so that people who said they would never be able to come in person begged him to keep it virtual. So he's, he is doing a hybrid. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. How many people did go last year? I, I, that's a good question. I, you'd have to ask him, but it was definitely a lot fewer than usual. I mean, in his heyday, that, that conference was up to like 400 some odd people. Um, but I'd say it was closer to a hundred this time around. Um, but yeah, I mean, his numbers have, have always shifted from year to year. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's one of those staples in the, you know, it's, it's kind of how I mark time. There's WWDC and then there's iDev and then, you know, there's certain events that happen throughout the year that are just part of the, the cycle of, of the community events. So I'm glad to see he's still kicking it. Um, yeah, my pick was just the, uh, the, the Swift charts thing I was so excited about. So I, I want to recommend to people that they do go at least watch the first talk, which is like, I think it's called hello Swift charts or whatever. Um, it, it not only like you, you might say I have no interest in charts or whatever, but just r- watch the way this code is set up because it like, it's, it's to me, it's the way that future API is going to be written for Apple things moving forward. Um, just this declarative, very simple uh, Swift UI like type patterns for pretty much everything, um, and ha- and how powerful that thing is with very little code is is remarkable to me. And uh, it, it, like I said, it's got me spinning my wheels trying to think of a new app I can make that would have charts in it all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> mm. so, and then, well, yeah, my goal is to have that and have it on every platform. I want to get. I, I do want to build a universal app that that goes out to Mac and you know uh, iOS, iPad OS, Watch OS, and TV OS. Even why not? Don't you need more charts in your cafe now? I should, yeah. I should replace all the charts I have <laughs> with these. Uh, that's what I should do. Uh, but that's going to take a while. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if I... If, uh, that might be how I get my feet wet with this. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to put some charts into Device Tracker and Pi Day Countdown as well. Uh, all right, cool. Well, that's it for this week. Um, so, um, hey, hi, maybe people can get in touch with you. Where do they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with a hair. All right, and Mark, people can get in touch with you. I'm at markr at snapsoft.com. And Joe, how about where people can get hold of you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at jjaponski, J-C-I-E-P-L-I-N-S-K-I. See, I'm not the only one that spells my Twitter handle. <laughs> so once again, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. On the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. Until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs> 
This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And now we're in the after show, Joe. Just, just <laughs> Another three hours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 so I, I, I do want to take an opportunity. I should have, should have done this in the beginning of the, the show. And uh, so I'm curious. So release notes. What's, I, I think you guys have retired from release yeah, notes? Yeah. At the, at the current moment, we are not producing new episodes. As of, uh, what was it, like three or four months ago, we stopped. I don't know when it was. <laughs> Somewhere in the beginning of this year. Um, yeah. I think we hit a nice round 500 and stopped. Um, it was a long run, and we, so, we did every single Monday for that entire time. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. yeah, it's hard to keep that schedule. Well, we, 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 we kind of had a reason. To, we had a reason why we had to stop our regular, and we've kind of, we haven't got back into our cadence on this show yet, but uh, we were doing every Wednesday as much as we could. Yeah, we were doing it for a couple of years there, every, every Wednesday. Well, we're coming up on our eighth year. This is eight years, um, really? Oh, my God. Yeah, years, you're right. Yeah. 2014. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. August, yeah. August, but it's probably uh, been a year since we've been doing it regularly, right? Uh, more, because I One was year. for a company that sells fruit, so we couldn't do anything. Was that pre-pandemic that you joined there? Um, no, it was mid, I think uh, <laughs> September 2021, mm. right? Yeah. So, yeah, so it's been almost a year then. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys all tired? You want to go lie down and watch more videos, or what's the story? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to put on the, uh, the avoiding race conditions video and that'll, that'll put me right to sleep. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's fun. I did that last night. I watched uh, what's new in Xcode and, and, uh, I, I finished watching it again today because yeah, I think halfway through, I just woke up and like, where am I? <laughs> so as I was saying before the show started, uh, one thing I really like about the way the videos are set up now is that, is that they're much shorter so you can yeah. watch them in smaller bite sizes of time uh instead of you know the old way you had to sit through an hour worth of time just to watch a whole session now you know if you have just have 20 minutes or even if you have 15 minutes you can take a 20 minute session watch it at one and a quarter speed or whatever <laughs> and, and yeah and and still squeeze it in so it's much it's much easier to manage the massive amount of information because you can divide it up into smaller bits so I'm glad to hear I'm not the only person who listens to on on speedy fast. Oh, yeah. oh I do everything. Yeah, yeah. Minimum minimum of one and a quarter. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say that was one of the weird parts about doing the show with y'all is that I'm used to hearing you all at that one and a half speed too. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, like, oh my god, these guys are drunk or something. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny. Yeah, never thought, never thought well, that people funny. would do that, but I guess they do. Yeah, yeah. I do. It's funny. <laughs> I edit the I edit the show in in one and a half speed, right? This to get through it, right? 
because you know two, two three hours is a long time but um yeah and you're right because I, I listen sometimes i have to go back and and uh, go into overcast and tell just go at regular speed I, I didn't realize that even the speed optimization thing even if you put it on one times it'll still speed it up right it'll still cut out silence and yeah, long pauses and whatnot yeah yeah so we we work hard. Some some of our listeners don't like it when I cut all the pauses out. So I had to put them. I had to leave them back in. <laughs> yeah, it feels more natural. Yeah, I don't like I don't like when when audio things are like chopped a little too much where it's, it doesn't sound real. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I've yeah. always I've always kind of tried to balance like leave a few of those ums in there and leave a few of these you know correct you know, like because you kind of you want it to sound like a real conversation to a certain extent. You know. Um, but it's tough. It's, a, it's always a tough call editing these shows. It's, that was that was a big part of it for me with release notes. I mean, recording, okay, that we, we kept the show to around a half hour, so it wasn't too bad mm-hmm. recording, but then I would spend a good, you know, so, you know, like Tim, you know, several hours, like, just trying to get <laughs> everything, like, cut and, you know, perfectly polished, so it, it's definitely a big commitment. It's a lot of time. Well, there's a fine line between my, my work and, and perfect, you know. Well, I, yeah. I, I, there's, there's a, there's a, um, there's a point where I kind of go, you know what? <laughs> Just got to let it go. Sometimes I fall asleep while I'm editing yeah. too, right? <laughs> Just hearing the same thing over and over again, right? Yep. Well, I, I do it at it night. Shows right? that so, yeah. <laughs> it's a, oh, yeah. You're just falling especially, asleep. That's a problem. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it especially, happens. Especially the dulcet tones of Jaime Lopez Jr. Now, just, <laughs> just <laughs> I mean, you were kind of quiet today. Yeah. Did, have you, did you not have you not watched a lot of the sessions? Is that, I, I haven't that had that an opportunity yeah. to see okay. the sessions. Yeah. It was all off of the keynote and the platform State of the Union for my, my insights, such as they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm finding like as you guys know, I I traditionally take the week off and and just consume like crazy, right? And uh, in fact, you know, when I was writing for Ray, I I used to do like I used to watch like thirty thirty or thirty five videos and then prepare it down to ten best ones, right? Um, but yeah, this I'm finding it really hard to to be at work all day and then you know like yeah on my lunch break i'm watching videos yeah, that's or what I'm barbecuing doing. you know yeah. sausages and watching the video and yeah i even got the treadmill going because because it was raining here and i couldn't go for my outdoor walks uh which i've been doing as part of my regimen so i got the treadmill going and i'm watching wwc videos it's, it's awfully hard and hitting the rewind button a lot <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, there's a lot, a lot to get through, but I, you know, it's kind of, I, you're right. I do like the format and, and the no pressure knowing that, you know, I don't have to attend them. I can right. just, you know, uh, cause I used to go to, like, yeah, I'd go to one talk and I, you know, especially in person. And if I didn't like it, I would change rooms. Right. right. Um, and even when I'm watching at home, um, I would start watching when they were broadcast live, that is, I would watch and then flip to another, another one. And you miss like, you miss 10 minutes of a talk and you, you could miss some really good points. Right. Whereas this way you can you can just sort of take it in bite sized pieces yeah. and I like the fact that you know when they call out the other sessions I can if I'm watching on my iPad or Apple TV I can on my phone I can go into the app developer app and I can bookmark the next session I want to watch mm-hmm. yeah I, I really like the fact the way the way, I think you were saying Mark that the bookmarks are, are have the check marks beside them right? now you have a check mark but at least I've seen it on the desktop and now it started happening on my iPad but I haven't seen it on the phone yet. Does it yeah, no, I saw it today on the phone? phone, actually, when I was looking. Yeah. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's little check marks there. And they do sync. They weren't syncing when I first started, but they have started syncing at some point. Yeah, I was, I was having trouble finding Serenity's wrap-ups. I, did, I, did, I found them later today, but, you know, how she does the wrap-up at the end of the day. Because I like that, the wrap-up, because she may point out something in another talk that you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And so often I'll go back and look at those. Oh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to Curtis for winning an Apple design award. That was pretty cool. Yeah. For slopes. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. He's been working on that app for a very long time, so I was happy for him. Yeah, I was surprised. That app's been out like many, many years, right? Yeah, I think more than 10 at this point. I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's a long time coming, and he works really yeah. hard on it. So it's it was cool to see them recognize him. Um, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool, and and some of the other apps. I mean, like so, even the the runners up. I mean, I'm a I haven't really got much into Vectinator, but I've been following it since it first came out, and I have a, I have the Mac version, I have an iPad version, mm-hmm. and they have these really cool videos on Instagram and and uh, on how to do the different things. Because as you know, I'm a Illustrator user from way back when, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so. Um, and I, d- I don't have a currently don't have the I don't not subscribe through Adobe. I find that that model a bit odd for people who are no longer in the design business, right? Um, I still pay for Photoshop, but uh, you know, so t- so I've been looking for alternatives. I've been looking at the Affinity stuff, and I've been looking at you know things like Vectinator and Procreate. Procreate won an award too, I think, right? Yeah, they were the, the I think uh, one of the first apps to win two different awards in two different years in two different categories. Really? <laughs> yeah, because this wow. time they won for inclusivity. Um, um, and they, they've, I like, I was reading through some of the stuff they've done. Like, not only is it in 15 different languages, but like it, it has, uh, like correction for like, if you've got a shaky hand, uh, it'll actually like mm. get your lines drawn straight and like all kinds of accessibility features they've built into procreate at this point. So nice. yeah, well-deserved yeah. on that front too. That's another uh, nice group of people. Uh, I've met a few of them. Um, yeah. and yeah, what amazing app. Um, and then, yeah, you're right. Even the runner ups. I mean, I've, I've always been a huge fan of transit. So I was, I was Curtis and I were both convinced that transit was going to beat him out. Um, so we were kind of surprised when really? he won a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. I, d- I did look at the categories that he was in kind of, I kind of wondered that too. I like, again, I'm really glad he won because you know, he's always, he's, he's, a, he's probably the best photo bomber I know. Of. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to see Apple like focus on any, any kind of indie app is great. You know what I mean? Like any solo project yeah. is, is cool to see them right up next to bigger companies. So, uh, that's pretty cool. And the, the camera guy, I've, I've seen his app, but I've never actually used oh, it. Oh, Yeah. Um, that's another really good app. Halide. Yeah. Yeah. To check that one out now. Do they, do they, um, they, do they make them like sort of free or, or highlight them on the app store? After they win? Uh, that's a good question. I think somewhere in there, the uh, it'll say Apple Design Award winners in the App Store. Usually it happens the next day or something like that. They put it in like yeah. a special section. Yeah, here it is. It's right at the top of the Mac App Store. Meet this year's Apple Design Award winners. I'm sure it's in the iOS App Store, too. Yeah, just check in there now. Maybe a different experience in Canada, though. <laughs> yeah, I like how they've been balancing. They'll usually do like one regular app and one game. Because <laughs> like, like before, for a while, there was like every Design Award winner was a, was a game. Um, so it was getting out of hand. Yeah, so, true. So now they're true. trying to rebalance it. They must have done an overhaul on the App Store because I'm just looking. At the, I haven't looked at the iPad App Store in a while, and it looks pretty pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you guys are always talking about app discovery on on. Um, it's always been a challenge for these guys. Right? Yeah, for for indies that is anyway. Very much so. It's funny, you know. It's Pi Day countdown. Pi Day came by right. Mar- was it March 14th? And um, they had a the Apple had a special thing in the App Store on, on Pi Day, and I'm like. What about my app? <laughs> <laughs> it's been in there forever. Yeah. And it's actually called Pi Day, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I know. It's 10 oh, years. Man. It's been in there 10 years. And so as soon as I send that tweet, the next day I got a, hey, you haven't updated your app in two Oh, hours. that's why. Get out of here. That's how they found your app. <laughs> they were looking for Pi Day apps. <laughs> Wait a minute. Well, so I went back in and I, and I basically, you know, so I added dark mode and I, I updated, the, I, 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 I dropped the ball in accessibility. So I added that in there and yeah, a bunch of other things. So. Yeah, and then and I'm yeah accessibility meant because it was always a dark mode app, like it was always like a black background with with uh, 
lighter type. And so when I had to add, add uh, accessibility, I had to address the color change, right? And so now it's a regular app during the day, and then it's a dark mode app at night kind of thing. And then you can choose, you know, depending on your preference, which way you want to go. So do you change the the name to Pi Night when it goes into Nighttime? Dark no, Pi day, day is always the same. It's the whole point is the same time of day, right? Yeah. Yeah. 1.49, um, is it a.m.? I think it's actually a.m., right? Yeah, it must be a.m. if you're using a 12-hour clock. I pointed out to Tim that he needs to update his app to have the 100 trillion digits of pi that were just calculated on Google Cloud. Mm. <laughs> a new record. But good thing they have their virtual memory swapping in for that. Yeah, right. Now, right. There you go. <laughs> Stream in his views. Only runs on iPad. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we can we can wrap it up there. All right. All right. Let you guys cool. get on with your lives. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, Joe, it's great. Uh, great meeting you, sort of in person. Yeah. Finally. Virtually yeah. in person. Finally. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've only been here yeah. two and a half years, and most of that's been COVID, so I haven't had a chance oh, okay. to meet too many people. Um, but yeah, yeah definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely know some of the yeah. the, old, the the folks who. I've been yeah. around for a while. Yeah. You did have an in-person event the other day, though, didn't you, Joe? Yeah, we uh, for the keynote, we invited people to come over uh, like who didn't get a golden ticket to go out to uh, Cupertino. And uh, we got, you know, I got a pretty good crowd. It was like six or seven people showed up, and uh, we all watched the keynote and the State Union, and then we went out to dinner. It was nice. And then uh, we've been watching sessions every day since, and, you know, a couple of people here and there, um, but not a huge turnout, but pretty good. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so that's that, and then we do like what I was doing in New York, which is every month uh, on the third Wednesday, we're doing a meetup at a pizza place downtown. Uh, we've been getting like 15, 20 people to show up to that every month, which is great. All right, Jaime, go ahead. All right, all right. I'll talk to you tomorrow, Jaime. Oh, by the way, Joe, if you ever if you ever get the ner- the urge to jump on a show, just drop me a line. Yeah, also, yeah, I had a blast. This it's it's fun to be on the inside of this, and now you don't have to listen to yes. it later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. It can yeah, only yeah. be it can <laughs> only be less content because we, you know, keep it relatively light. I think it's pretty honest what you see on the refined show, but there are the the bits that you've heard now that like, oh, okay, this clearly can't go on the show. Or sometimes we just completely whiff as like, hey, just let me repeat that part. I'm gonna restate my <laughs> statements here so I don't exactly. sound like I'm babbling. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have many of those moments. Yeah, plus, and, plus, I tend to isolate when somebody's talking for the series. Like I do a lot of uh huh, uh huh, uh huh during the show, and and I edit all, all that stuff gets thrown on the the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah. Because although it sounds natural, it just I find it annoying <laughs> when I listen to people. Yeah, we had tons of those moments on release notes where Charles would just be midway through a paragraph and be like, "You know what? I'm going to start over. <laughs> Cut all that." Really? Wow! <laughs> like that would happen, or you know, sometimes I'd just be babbling and like going on for a while. I'd be like, "No, what am I even saying?" All right, let's yeah. <laughs> but yeah, most of it is. I get to cut out my stupid comments sometimes too, as well. <laughs> yeah, and then the usual like talking over each other because of the time lapse thing and that stuff you have to fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or you just move somebody slightly so that you, so the audience can hear them better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both show. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the yeah, show. Yeah, I loved it. Thanks, guys. It was great hanging out with you. We'll have you back for sure. Okay, awesome. cool. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Just gotta find out how to turn this thing off now. Uh, <laughs> 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.